Some may find the following disturbing. Discretion is advised. Put the children to bed. It's time for Dan and Aldo to bear their souls. I love the Chicago Bears more than I do masturbating, and that is a lot. Then, with three seconds left, Bob Avellini throws a 30-something yard touchdown pass to Greg Latta, and the Bears win, and I literally shit my pants. I swear to God, I literally did. <laughs> Eric Kramer, for me, I love the guy. He's a tragic figure. I mean, he embodies all that is... If they don't run the ball here, I'm going to vomit. I swear to God. Look, I don't mean any disrespect. He just didn't play that well. Not for a guy of his caliber. You know, they won, but I'm, I'm going to be miserable all week because they stunk. I don't really have any recollection of that at all, but I guess perhaps I blacked it all out. So, Dan, tape is the ultimate tool for scouts and for coaches to evaluate players, to detect plays and so forth, and they spend hours looking at tape, right? Why do they so often get shit wrong? Ladies and gentlemen... Dan and Aldo. Oh, yeah, oh, I fucked that up. Tried <laughs> <laughs> a new way of doing the opening for the show. The audio, and I fucked it up. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Aldo Gandia. Welcome to another edition of Dan and Aldo Bear Their Souls. And as you can tell, beside me is not Dan Aguirre, but the lovely, talented, multifaceted Johnny the Tucci Santucci. John, how are you? Uh, I'm doing well, Aldo. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, Dan just uh, texted a little while ago, said he'd be ready to go in about 15 or 20 minutes. He is covering a high school basketball game for his radio station out in Virginia. And uh, we are just going to go ahead and entertain them. Uh, Johnny has uh, promised to take his top off and reveal his titties. (laughs) I got a dingo tea under here. Oh, nice. <laughs> I <laughs> like them. Those are sexy. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Daddy's running a little late, but the the, the, uh, the chat room was clamoring for Aldo an Aldo and Toot show. Yeah, so well, ask, they, they got it. Ask and you receive. <laughs> when when Tooch, I mean, excuse me, when uh, Dan calls in, don't answer. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do this on our own. Lots going on, man. I, I'll. I'll wait and do a bear state of affairs for when Danny gets here. Yeah, you do that. And I think one of the things we can talk about at the top of the show, and I know Dan is going to miss this topic, uh, but uh, we all know how he feels about Aaron Rodgers. He literally wants Aaron Rodgers to face a bathroom accident and and be out for all of next season. 
Uh, but Aaron Rodgers is in the news again because he had a 12-day cleanse. And I'm wondering what the hell they put up his ass because he is now uh, thanking everybody in his life. Uh, his <laughs> ex-fiance, his uh, former players. He is just going on and on and just being in a very reflective and thankful mood, indicating that there is uh, there is no reason why he's doing this other than just because he's kind of in a state of uh, Zen-like and thanking people. Cliff Victoria asked the question, what was the big news that, that, that A-Rod gave today? He gave no, no news. He was just being really kind and nice. Uh, but a lot of people saw it as this kind of passive-aggressive uh, treatment of people uh, thanking them, but really just kind of trolling people because he's in control of the news and he's going to wait to make a decision on his future. Uh, what do you make of the whole thing? I, I got a feeling that he's returning back to the Packers. They've smoothed things over, and they're going to try to do whatever possible, and, and I think he's going to come back. What are your thoughts? Well, it sounded like a cry for help, didn't it? His, <laughs> his, uh, his Instagram. You know, I, he, didn't he? he broke up with Shailene Woodley, right? That's the yes, – I, I think she broke fiance. up with him. Yeah. She broke up with him. And that's, mm -hmm. you know, that's going to affect, you know, I'm at, breaking up with your, uh, you know, your mm -hmm. longtime uh, partner, girlfriend. I don't mm -hmm. know how long they were together, but they were engaged to be married. So he probably thought, you know, hey, my future uh, in that department is, you know, locked up. And now he's without uh, uh, Shailene, who uh, he must, it seems like he was very fond of her. But, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and then and then the, the cryptic uh, Instagram message, uh, I you know, it sounded uh, like uh, you know he, he he's he might be depressed. That's why that's the way it struck me at first. Really, that he's yeah. So there could be a psychological issue going on there. Yeah, I mean, he is a very as Ted Thompson, his former general manager, he's a very complicated guy. You know, when he came out of college, he was just so concerned about the reports on his height because he was only 6'1". He was being knocked by scouts about that. 60 Minutes did a, por uh, a portrayal of him or a profile of him, and that was one of the main topics during that 60 Minutes report on him, how upset and how uh, how he used that to inspire himself and, and, and better his play. Uh, and then along the way, he's had, you know, there's been rumors, of course, of him, uh, of him being homosexual. And at, immediately on the heels of that, he started dating high profile uh, Hollywood starlets like Olivia Munn, uh, yeah. uh, Danica Patrick, who is not a Hollywood starlet, but it's certainly somebody in the sporting world, the, the race car driver. And now Shailen Woodley, who is a, a bit of a freak herself. And what I mean by that, she's into holistic medicine and and all this stuff. And, and they seem to hit it off. But the reports are from the gossip rags that uh, she was getting really, really tired of not seeing him for long periods of time, uh, him not communicating with her for long periods of time, and that when he did there were some uh, uh, battles with rages of jealousy uh, because she has so many male friends. So that ended, and now he is uh, looking for either a, uh, a new girlfriend or a new boyfriend or um, yeah. uh, a new football team. Who knows? So there, you're bright. He could be crying out for help. Yeah, he, he, the change, changes are coming, as they say, for Aaron. Uh you know, I mean, maybe it's a good thing. You know, he, uh, if I were to talk to Aaron Rodgers and tell him, you know, one piece of advice, I would say, hey, 
sometimes things happen for a reason. You know, maybe uh, the uh, marriage idea to Shailene wasn't a good idea after all these, you know, issues <laughs> with communication. You know, having communication issues is probably not a good recipe for a successful marriage. Although, no, <laughs> no, yeah. it's and, not. Uh, you know, yeah, and, and, and he's, he's you know, he. <laughs> he can, he, can, uh, <laughs> he can choose places you know i'm in san francisco would be a good spot for him. pittsburgh you know mm -hmm. uh would be a good spot those teams seem pretty uh, uh close to uh a playoff run maybe extended playoff run or reach the super bowl so mm -hmm. uh things happen for a reason and this you know while he might be depressed and crying out for help right now uh the future uh, to me looks bright for him Mm -hmm. On the podcast that he does with, uh, what's that gentleman's name uh, who does the podcast with him oh, on Monday yeah. or Tuesdays? Is it but, McAfee? McAfee. Yeah, yeah, Pat McAfee show. Um, he told Pat that he and Packers management are in a good place, that it's different than it was a year ago. Apparently, they they're, they're really want his input. And, you know, it's pretty clear. They've seen enough of Jordan Love to say, we think we made a mistake here. So uh, as long as we want to keep winning, we have to uh, elongate Aaron Rodgers' tenure here as much as he might be disliked by people in the front office, as much as, much as he is not the true leader in the locker room that people <laughs> – Rodgers won. He owns all of the Chicago pods. That's all about all we've talked about all day. Yeah, he's, Foster, he's you're right. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Yes, exactly. You know, well, we've got two hours to fill. So. Yeah. <laughs> and Dan is not here, although Dan has sent a special message to Aaron Rodgers. Fuck you! Okay, Dan. <laughs> we get it. You don't like the guy. <laughs> but, you know, I, I do believe that he's probably going to end up there, although he might have a better opportunity to win a Super Bowl with some other teams like the Steelers, like the Broncos and so forth. But I think right now he what he values most is control and respect. And if they're kowtowing to him in Green Bay, um, then he's probably going to stay there. King Pookie Nation Alvarez says the 49ers might be a good landing spot, but they've got Trey Lance. And so, you know, uh, they they really need to take advantage of Lance's rookie contract and build that roster up. Uh, and yeah. uh, that that's their plan. And I think for them to deviate on that, you know, it's not a bad idea. I'm not uh, disagreeing with you, King Pookie, but I, I do feel that uh, the Niners might be more committed to Trey Lance than anything else, uh, including a free agent quarterback who is going to demand, you know, somewhere upwards of $30 million a year or, or something yeah. like that. So the, the, the one thing that I wanted to make sure to get across uh, during this segment when we were talking about Rodgers, and I'm dying to get your thoughts on this too, Tooch, is I want Aaron Rodgers to stay at Green Bay. Why? Because I want to own Aaron Rodgers. Because he's been right. I mean, he hasn't, you know, physically owned us. So he hasn't, you know, in a real estate way owned us. But he's owned us on the football field. He's beaten us a hell of a lot more times than we have beaten him. And I want to see those tables turned like the Bears turned them on Brett Favre. I don't remember what the record was against Brett Favre in those last five, six appearances 
that far faced the Bears when he was in Green Bay. But I think the Bears had a winning record, and it was this was during the ascension of Larry uh, Lovey Smith's defense, and they started to get after Favre, and uh, and and that's what I want to experience again. That that's going to bring me so much joy. I don't want to beat Aaron Rodgers in the Super Bowl if he's against the Steelers. I want to beat him twice a year while he's wearing those ugly putrid Green Bay Packers uniform colors. And I want to beat him in a way that he's going to leave the field raising a middle finger to his teammates because it will reveal what a sore loser he is. And when the fans get on him at Soldier Field as he's walking to his locker room after the Bears have defeated him 45 to nothing like the 85 Bears did against the Dallas Cowboys, I want the fans to give him the finger and let's see if he still owns us. That's what I want. Tooch, your thoughts on that. Well, that would certainly be the, the going away party I would enjoy for, uh, for Rodgers. <laughs> just just an ass kicking, his last game, ass kicking, you know. But uh, uh, yeah, it's uh, if he leaves, we certainly it, it'd be terrible to not get that opportunity. And I'm with you on that. Uh, and I think uh, you know uh, the, we're close to that that table turning mm-hmm. point where he starts to regress. The, the Packers. You know, team starts to get worse, and they they start to go into the cycle, probably like we're in. Mm-hmm. And then the Bears, and hopefully Justin Fields. And I, I know a lot of people in the chat room would disagree that Justin Fields is going to be, uh, you know, a, a, a crucial part of the Bears' uh, future moving forward. But uh, that's where we are right now. We, we have Justin Fields. Uh, I'm excited by what I see from this uh, young man at quarterback, uh, and I would like for the tables to turn for a decade. You know, mm-hmm. enjoy the enjoy the uh, dominance like we used to have. But mm-hmm. I'm with you. King Pookie says, but we can't beat him. And so that's my, my response to you, King Pookie, is we can beat him with this new coaching staff, with this new general manager who knows how to build an offensive line. Uh, we can be- beat him if we have a uh, an offense that's going to be able to control the ball for longer periods of time so that our defense is not tired out and confused and nervous at, at, at the end of games, which is when a lot of times when Rodgers would beat us late in the games when, you know, uh, the defense is running out there again because the offense failed to pick up a couple of first downs to – to maintain that lead and keep the defense fresh when they were when they were out there, we can beat him if we add some weapons to the offense so that Justin Fields can complete those sixty-five yard passes that he always almost always throws on target, and we've got a receiver downfield other than Darnell Mooney that can make a big play. We can beat him if we have good offensive line protection. I can go on and on with what we need to do, and it's a lengthy list. But we th- that's how you beat this guy. That's how you beat him. You got to have better players, and you got to have better coaching in that order. And uh, we haven't had, uh, for for the most part of Rogers' career um, with the Packers, we haven't had either of those, uh, much less both of them at the same time. So Art by Nike says the Bears can beat Rogers. It's a mental game. And PJ adds, with a new coaching staff, hope reigns eternal that's where i'm at tooch you're at you're are you still in that hopeful mood or is the honeymoon with the uh well actually you were never you were always a bit skeptical about uh Ibra flus and uh and polls right 
I am because they hired a Ryan and a Matt again. And that to me is like a sig signal <laughs> that nothing's changed. It's like it's so bears that nothing's changed. You know, George is still judging the general manager and in turn probably judging the coach as well. And he's not qualified to do that. So that's why Dan is Dan's just, yeah, we got pace. We got Nagy out of here. I'm happy. You know, I'm not because we got, you know, Ryan and a Matt right back again, which is like to me signals. It's like an omen. It's an omen that says, you know, with things. This is the status quo with the Bears. This is what they do, you know. They just, they're just, they just patch holes. It's like, you know, a, a plumber fixing a, a leak. You know, just, just right. you know, smackling the leak over and over again. You're right. I mean, we shouldn't put so much value on people's names, right? But it does feel like a little. Come on, you can come right. up with a, a Stanley or a uh, or a Tony for a coach or a Jerome or any other name but hey matt and ryan for your general manager yeah, I, I realize it's a coincidence you know <laughs> yeah. and then they hired you know they hired these guys they're just they're no guys you know right. but they're, they happen to have the same damn names mm -hmm. it's like to me that's a sign it's like you're looking for an omen or a sign if you believe in all that crap you know, this is the sign. It's so bears. <laughs> yes, it's true. Cliff Victoria says, guys, imagine if McCaskey and Phillips had picked this staff instead of Polian. Well, according to Polian, McCaskey did pick Ryan Poles, and Ryan Poles chose Matt Eberflus. What Polian did was just point out the positives and negatives with everyone that was interviewed and, and steered George the right way. You know, Bill <laughs> Polian has been um, – very effusive in his praise of George McCaskey, which of course you would expect. You know, you got paid a million dollars. I thought Tooch stopped being a Bears fan. Did you stop being a Bears fan for a while? No, it's, that's impossible. You can't stop being a Bears fan. Yeah, I mean, right? There, there are fans that have either stopped or have become really, really uh, non-participating Bears fans. And, and that happens with any losing team. Steven you know? Zimmerman. It's like, I'm, I'm burning all my jerseys. I'll never <laughs> be right. a Bears fan again. You know, it's like... That's what Zim said. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I haven't talked to Zim in a while. I hope you can uh, join us on a future show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you're absolutely right. You know, it's for guys like me and you, I think guys from our era, Tuch, you're in your yeah. mid-50s, is it? Mid-50s, yep. Yeah, and I'm in my early 60s, approaching mid-60s really fast. I think for guys like me and you, you know, being a fan is a lot like uh, – it, it, it is it carries a, a much more emotional uh, uh, relationship, a, a, uh, an emotional tag to it that is really hard to break. Unlike most fans nowadays, I don't mean to be critical of millennials or, you know, people in their twenties, thirties, forties, whatever they're called. But I do think that things have changed because there's just much, many more things now to capture your interest. And so, you know, if you watch a three hour football game with the Chicago bears every Sunday and they're getting their ass kicked, you're going to say, why, why the hell am I doing this? You know, yeah. I'm going to go play Sega or whatever the fuck PS4 or yeah. five, whatever yeah. the fuck yeah. there is. So. Man, you are so right. That's a great point because they're kind of like, I got better things to do. I, I can be on playing uh, uh, Call of Duty. The new Call of Duty's mm -hmm. out. I want I need to watch the Bears get their asses kicked, you know? Yeah. But the diehards like us will be watching and stuff. That's what's, you know, the, the younger crowd, they just say, fuck it, I don't care, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's and, – and 
you know, I, I remember when I was young and I would read books like Future Shock and The Third Wave and all these books that pre were predictions about the future. And they would talk about you're going to have so many different choices to watch on TV. I was like, yeah, fucking A, man. This is going to be great, man. I'm tired of just having ABC, NBC, CBS, WGN and a bunch of snow-filled uh, UHF channels. <laughs> Fuck this, man. I want 200 yeah, channels cool. to select. Well, now there are times where I learn for those old days when you knew half the nation was watching the finale of The Fugitive or the finale of MASH. And and, and there were literally one point, I mean, one, uh, 100 million people watching the Super Bowl. It was a community, a, a national community watching TV together back then now fuck man we've got you know when my girls were living at home and, and my wife if there was a big football game on i was watching it by myself my stepdaughter was in her room watching friends my daughter was in her room watching disney and my wife was in uh her room or in our bedroom watching some murder mysteries <laughs> So it's like we can't even do that at home nowadays. It's it's so it's changed so bad, you know. Toa Hank says that I'm looking gangster tonight, brother. You know what, man? I used to grow. I grew up in one of the toughest neighborhoods in the city of Chicago, Humble Park area. Yeah, you know, you would drop your watch there, uh, and uh, you better you better run because a lot of other. <laughs> No, that's not the joke. The joke is, oh, people wouldn't ask you for the time. They would just take your watch. <laughs> that's <Yeah>. the joke. <laughs> Clemente High School area. Clemente High School is where I went, baby. Uh, best baseball team of its era. I haven't followed their high school baseball team in a few years. But back then, oh, quick story, since we're burying ourselves here. Um, back when I was in Clemente High School for my senior year, which was 1977, a lot of you motherfuckers weren't even born at the time. Uh, the Clemente High School was playing CVS at Sox Park for the high school city baseball championship. And um, we lost, unfortunately. We lost. Uh, I won't get into all the details. But on the train back, me and my girlfriend are, are on the L there at, uh, outside uh, the old Comiskey Park. And some guy brushes by and grabs her ass. And so she turns to me. She goes, that guy grabbed my ass. And the immediate thought I had was, fuck, I got to fight this guy. <laughs> Shit. <you know? laughs> I don't want to fight this guy. So I turned around and I was a few inches taller than him. And I said, hey, you grab my girl's ass. He goes, yeah, fuck you, man. And he pushes me. I threw one punch that landed and knocked him back. And the, that's the last thing I remember because a bunch of people were all over me, uh, punching Jeez. me. Somebody must have might have bitten me because I was bleeding out of my ear. Oh my God. But the, but the, but the good part of the story is that my girlfriend fell in love with me, man. We went back to her her <laughs> sister's house. The, the apartment was empty, and we had the best sex of my teenage years. It was worth it. It was all worth it. <laughs> Absolutely. Tony says he stayed on Sacramento and North Avenue for a while. Damn. You know what? There were a lot of good looking whores back there. Yeah. <laughs> right on North yeah. Avenue on Sacramento. <laughs> yeah, I grew up around there, Tony. Uh, Humble Park. We played a lot of sports at the park there flag football, softball, 12 inch softball. Was uh, a coach and a manager for a 12 inch softball team that won championships with trips to Puerto Rico. Where we played teams in Puerto Rico for 
a couple of weeks. And uh, yeah, that's those are my old stomping grounds. Every once in a while, I, I drive by there again, uh, you know, uh, to, to reminisce. And man, the neighborhood has changed. Uh, things look better than they did before. It doesn't look quite as depressed, but there's that's probably due to the gentrification that's going on in that area. So anyway, um, we're expecting Dan Aguirre any minute. Oh, wait a minute. I got a text from him. It says uh, a few minutes ago. Let's see what he's got to say here. Just finished. He's got a piss and he'll be ready. Whoa, man. I wish I had a camera in there. <laughs> right on. Tooch, uh, so um, we're going to talk about the Bill Cosby show later because you had the same reaction that Dan and I had about that four-part yeah. series. That's on I Showtime. did my homework. I watched, uh, yeah, Showtime. I watched the all four episodes. Yeah. Uh, uh, once so you watch one, you're like, oh, I can't, yeah. you can't put it away, but it's you know, the, the dirty feeling you get from watching it. It's like, you mm -hmm. know, it's horrible. But uh, mm -hmm. yeah, we'll talk some Bill Cosby. Yeah, we'll talk Bill Cosby. Uh, as far as football, as soon as Dan joins us, I want to talk about uh, the free agency that is coming up. Uh, a few things that I lifted from the radio that we can react to. Uh, Dan's giving me the signal to give him a call. So I'm going to do that right now. And so you're going to see how this works behind the scenes because Dan is not on StreamYard. Um, it's not really on yet. I don't see the little green light. I've got to call him through my Skype machine and then pipe in Skype through my mixer, uh, which then pipes it into StreamYard. And, uh, and then we usually do a little audio test because sometimes he's over modulating, not because he's heavy, but because his microphone is not calibrated exactly the way we need. So I'll wait for his little green light to start. But I'll also say that besides uh, talking about those subjects that I just mentioned, we will also talk about the Super Bowl. This is a topic that Danny has been, and I say Danny because that's how I got him written on my Skype thing. Or um, Dan um, has been dying to talk about some of his favorite Super Bowl moments. And I got to say, man, it intimidates me yeah, when he me says, yeah, because this guy's recall on shit is so fucking amazing. And I can only recall what kind of pot I was smoking during the game. You know? <laughs> I can't recall a lot of details from Super Bowl 23 or whatever. We could talk about Super Bowl 20, that one, because I've seen it a few times and stuff. But there are other moments in Super Bowl history. A lot of it has to do because that's the one game of the year or over the years that I will see with a lot of people. Because it's not about watching the game. It's about getting high, having drinks with your friends, and and getting, you know, it's, it's about socializing. Uh, Dan, on the other hand, he has to have seen these games multiple times to have that great recall. But in any case, we will uh, we will talk to him. He says he's ready to go. So let me press this button here that says calling. Oh, there's the ring. Here's Dan Aguirre. Yes, sir. What are you wearing? Uh, a Nirvana Nevermind 30th anniversary shirt. Oh, never mind. <laughs> you are live on the air. Lower your mic uh, gain just a tad, and we'll be ready to rock and roll. How about now? Oh, you sound awesome. That is Dan Aguirre who is joining us now. Uh, let me put your picture up on the screen so people know what you look like, and uh, then we'll get started. Dan and I were, or, excuse me, Tooch and I were talking about uh, Aaron Rodgers. Do you remember that guy? Uh, <laughs> we knew you'd be I, I've been, I've been like, uh, you know, God, got to get finished, got to get finished. 
And as soon as they come on there, we got to talk about this fucking guy. No, we're done. Trust me. Everybody in the chat room is like, okay, stop talking about Aaron Rodgers. You and every other podcast in Chicago is talking about Aaron yeah. Rodgers. So fuck him. He is, uh, he, he, he did get a cleanse though. And so we're all speculating that it was not a mental cleanse, but an anal cleanse. And so I'm sure you're happy for him for that. <laughs> <laughs> I guess uh, the guy Kevin's back around again. Oh yes! Oh, that's the guy's name, right? That he he was roommates with for a while, right? And they were lovers. They were male lovers together. Now that there's anything wrong with that, I'm just you absolutely know. not. I, I I wish that whether if Aaron Rodgers is really gay, I wish that he would come out, and so that way it would. Although he may not be the best superstar in the sport to come out and then portray gay people in a positive light, given that so many people dislike him. But I would love it if some football superstar who's gay came out publicly and, and said it. So that way it would help people accept it more. People who play in, in the game of football, people who cover football and fans of football. Uh, because there's still a lot of people who have a stigma against uh, gay people in general. So Having said that, let's get started with uh, our topic of discussion. But before I do that, uh, Dan, how have you been? What, what's been going on? I know that you are either working a lot of hours or you're in love because you're not texting me as, as much as you normally do. <laughs> no, no, it's not the love thing. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, but I, I'm working until 4 p.m. tomorrow, for example. I'm still trying to pay for this Florida trip that's coming up. And uh, so, yeah, I've been working a lot of hours. I think I did 84 last week. Holy cow. Holy cow. I got 76 this week. Mm -hmm. Well, when I was your age, uh, there were periods where I would work, you know, that, those kind of hours, you know, because I was so invested in my career. But, man, I got to tell you, that's fucking some risky shit, man, You're for your health. Yeah, it's not fun at all. Um, I managed to squeal. I don't, you, never mind. I don't want to ch uh, change the topic here. So where, where were we going football-wise? All right. So here's the thing. One of the premises of tonight's show, besides talking about favorite Super, Super Bowl mem uh, moments, is this is the time now where Ryan Poles has really got to start showing us something, us fans, about what kind of a team he's going to build, how he's going to build it. Because very soon, in what, three, four weeks, it's free agency. And so a lot of people have told us that he's not going to make any big signings. So I started to think about that. You know, I'm, all, I'm one of these guys built through the draft. I would rather sit through a 1-15 season, and then after that we've got the, the, the seeds of something special for a long term than to go through another 8-7 season or 8-9 season and have a team that's just going to be mediocre like it's been with the Bears the last decade or so. So, I, but I started thinking is maybe I'm wrong. Maybe given the state of the roster, given the state that you got Mac and Quinn who are towards the tail end of their primes, maybe you should do what the Rams have done and trade away a couple of other big draft picks and try to win now in 2022 or 2023 by making some uh, immediate investments, some in, uh, investments on players who can deliver high volume play, high quality play right now. Dan, I'll ask you first, and then we'll get Tucci's thoughts. I, as much as I would like to just jump in and be like, yes, let's do that. Let's try to win. I want to come to Chicago at your house next year and, and be there for the NFC championship game. You know, whatever. <laughs> Maybe that could still happen, but the Rams approach isn't analogous in my view because 
Again, they had Aaron Donald, whom you perceive to be the best defensive player in football. They they have um, a veteran quarterback. Again, I like our quarterback. I like Justin Fields. But at this juncture, there's no doubting that Matthew Stafford is a better quarterback. Uh, so they had a better quarterback. They've got playmaking wide receivers. I mean, Cooper Cup was uh, got one vote for MVP of the league and was Super Bowl MVP. Mm-hmm. So they have a lot of other players in the mix that we don't. So I don't know if it's a fair analogy to say, well, let's go ahead and do the George Allen thing and, and trade all of our draft and get a bunch of veterans and go for it now. But I don't know if the, the situation is similar in any way. Yeah, you, you make good points there. You know, I don't know if it is similar, but it is a route to potentially consider. I am sure that that's been part of the discussion at Hallisaw. Can we make a run in 2022, given the assets that we have, players that are under contract, the money that we have for free agency, the draft capital that we have, can we, you know, put together something that will give us great confidence that we've built a team to win immediately as opposed to doing this more methodically and building a team for long-term success but won't deliver immediate results. Tooch, you got any thoughts on this? Well, as far as free agency, you mean? Yeah, in, in terms of making a choice of building a team now oh. to try to win in 2022, or do you think that, no, fuck that, let's just build for the future? I'm built for the future all the way. I don't think it's possible to win, to make some moves in one one off season to get to uh, a, a championship, you know, this year, you know, it's going to mm-hmm. take multiple years, you know, you, although you and I have said this many, many times, you know, it's the, the bears never want to do that. They never want to bottom out, tank, you know, tank or whatever, just to get those high draft picks, you know, and, and fans don't want it either, but that's what it takes. You know, I mean, we, we should have been doing that uh, the past couple of years. You know, we, we, we let the, you know, we, we, we kind of let the shelf life uh, expire on this team. You know, it went a little, little bit too long. So I, I don't think we have a chance other than to build like long-term through the draft and, you know, young free agents. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I got to tell you, you know, I, I don't think it's impossible to, you need luck. You know, as with anything, when you're building a team, uh, you, you need luck. You need guys that are going to stay injury uh, proof and so forth, injury, you know, free. And and uh, you need to hit on some guys that, you know, uh, you need to get lucky with some of the guys that you sign. Uh, like you're going to sign a handful of minimum contract veterans. And, and you've got to get lucky to sign guys who are just really going to buy into the philosophy of the team. We're going to buy into the system. And that results in big plays that these guys make. We've seen it over and over and over again throughout the NFL. All of a sudden, there's a guy on the highlight package as ESPN whose name you never heard of. Here's a running back that came out of nowhere. You know, Khalil Herbert is a perfect name. Fifth round draft pick. Nobody expected him to play, you know, as well as David Montgomery, but he did. And so you need more of those kinds of hits. Uh, so I got some audio here, Dan, that I think we can react to in terms of, you know, building a team like 
some of the, the major free agents uh, on the team, you know, should we sign them or should we go? And this is based on the athletic has, uh, has published a couple of great articles, one by Kevin Fishbane on the, on the salary cap, another one uh, by Adam Johns and some of the free agents they should or shouldn't sign. And so on their podcast, they went through some of these names. I'll start with, Allen Robinson. I think we all kind of agree that Allen Robinson is gone. And those guys at uh, uh, the Hogan Johns podcast, uh, by the way, uh, uh, Kevin Fishbane was filling in for uh, a Hogue who's on vacation. They all, they all said, you know, they all agreed with the future of Allen Robinson. But listen to their to them and their words. Gone. He will be playing elsewhere. Do you think the Bears could convince him to take a one or two year deal with the hopes for him? in getting a longer, more lucrative deal down the road. I think they could. I just wonder if Allen Robinson wants to be a part of what the Bears are going to be the next two years. That is true. I mean, um, do you, did you see? Did you guys see the tweet from uh, uh, Max Markham? Uh, let me get rid of that tweet so I can put this graphic up. Max Markham uh, tweeted out, one of the weirdest ideas I've had, Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy liked Allen Robinson so much that they tagged him for $18 million and gave him starting, starting snaps. Then, to the detriment of their own careers, they actively schemed him out of the offense just to sabotage him. Delusional. And guess who responded to that tweet? Allen Robinson, 154, 151, 66. And what he is referring to there, Dan, targets. are the amount of targets that he got. Only 66 targets last season. Now, do you think that may have been because Pace and Nagy were delusional and tried to sabotage him, Dan? Or do you think that was just because, you know, he was playing for a rookie quarterback and there just wasn't any chemistry there? Maybe all the above. I, I honestly don't as God, I hate to defend Matt Nagy. <laughs> and I know that, you know, he did a, a lot of dickish things such as not talking to a Rob <laughs> after the saints playoff game. Mm -hmm. But do I think he actively said, we're not going to throw him the ball. Like, like Isaiah did Jordan in that all-star game in 85. Like we're not giving him any shots. I, I just don't think that that happened. Uh, maybe. I mean, why would it have, I just don't, I don't know. Um, but I'm not trying to be some expert that breaks down the tape and the film and all that kind of shit. But I can say this from my eye, the novice eye, the fan eye, mm -hmm. it looked like he was never open. He was hurt several games. Uh, like I said, he, it looked like he was never open. Mm -hmm. And it looked, and I hate to besmirch him, but it appeared that. He just lost his fire last season. Maybe it's because he really didn't want to be here, and maybe the Bears re-signed him thinking that they were going to trade him and they really didn't want him here. We can opine on this all night, but the bottom line is he did not have the same something. The intangible, I don't know what that intangible is called, but it was palpable that he wasn't the same player last year. And having said that again, if you're missing numerous games, and you don't seem to be explosive and your heart doesn't seem in it. Yeah, no shit. Your targets uh, decreased. But if you told me Nagy purposely did that to him, 
I, I could buy in. I'm just going to say he probably didn't, but who knows that bald fuck. Maybe he did. You know, the, 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 the narrative that a Rob quit on the team. I, I just don't buy that. I mean, if he did, he cost himself millions of dollars. Well, I'm not saying he purposely quit. I mean, I don't want you to think that I said that. And if I did, I apologize. Let me correct myself. I, I, it's the same thing. It's almost similar. If you say that a Rob quit, that's right up there contingent with the bears purposely didn't want him to get the ball to me. Mm-hmm. Those are very similar. And I don't believe any one of those are true. I think it's somewhere in the middle. He didn't have a good year. They didn't have a good year. Mm-hmm. You couple that with inconsistency at quarterback and it all came together for the season that, that we had. Well, the one thing that gives credence to that, conspiracy theory for lack of a better way of putting it is the fact that a rob did complain that after the season he was supposed to have a skype call or zoom call with uh matt nagy and nagy never called him to schedule it they never he he that's what i was referencing after the saints game gotcha okay so he so there's this feeling that you know maybe nagy was pissed off at him because there wasn't that same communication Steven says he sabotaged fields. Um, up oh, where to go? Uh, he sabotaged fields, of course. So uh, he did that to Robinson. Uh, that's what Steven Nagishi feels. I don't think that Nagy purposely sabotaged fields. I just, as much as I dislike him and, and think, I, I think that he's incompetent. I don't think he purposely sabotaged anyway. Why would he do that? These He needed those guys to play well in order for him to keep his job in Chicago. He didn't want to get fired. He doesn't want to go back to being a position coach for some team. He doesn't want to go back to Kansas City. I don't even think Kansas City wants him. I always have had a feeling, not always, but over the last uh, few months or so, I had the feeling that Andy Reid was saying, giving him all these platitudes because he wanted to get rid of him. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, he's ready for a head coaching job. Let's get this rid of this fucking guy. <laughs> and maybe you know, the Bears will take him. They're, they're suckers. <laughs> exactly. So I just don't feel like these guys would negatively do that, you know, and I just feel like it, you know, they're just cutting their own balls off if they're going to sabotage fields, sabotage Robinson, you know, and, and it's a lot of it has to do like what uh, Tooch has been saying for years now. And what uh, we've been saying on this show uh, since its inception is that Nagy's ego is so fucking bloated that uh, he's, you know, he trips all over himself because he doesn't realize he's a narcissist, you know, let's put it that way. Bear Truth Nine says, although I'll just put it this way, I would not put anything past Nagy. <laughs> BT9, he's a former cop, so he would know. <laughs> as much as I want to agree and jump on the pile, because as you know, I'm not a fan of Matt Nagy. Mm-hmm. I want, I mean, it's easy to do that. It's low-hanging fruit. I I would like to be a part of that mob, mm-hmm. but uh, you, you have to put some of the blame on number 12, too. I don't remember seeing him wide open and, oh, Fields missed him, didn't throw to him. Dalton didn't throw to him. He seemed like he was constantly covered or he was hurt. Yeah. I agree with you, Dan, that, you know, but the thing about A-Rob's game is that he doesn't create separation. What he does is that he wins contested balls. So he wants you to throw him the ball when a guy's on his hip. 
um, because he is that's his game. He's going to come away with the ball. BJ says Nagy wanted his offense ran his way instead of adjusting to it, the talent that he had. And that is absolutely correct. That sums up Nagy since the time he got here with Howard Trubisky and Fields. And yeah, today, uh, Mitch Trubisky was trending because a lot of people are saying uh, a lot of he's getting a lot of praise now and saying that this guy is ready to become a starter because of the, what he learned at Buffalo, that there are ways, different ways to doing things that Nagy had him thinking too much and not letting him flow with his, his athletic skills, things that we were asking for um, uh, uh, of Nagy for, for years that he was hampering uh, Mitch Trubisky. And so that's the narrative now with, you know, I'd like to see, I'd like to see Mitch go to play for lovey and win. Wouldn't that be ironic? Wow. Well, that would be ironic, you know, and that's, that's one of the things that I'm worried about is guys, you know, just like the Leonard Floyd's syndrome or whatever the word is, there are going to be free agents who are going to leave the Chicago bears this year. And I bet you, they're going to be, they're going to resurface. And one of them is A-Rob. A-Rob is going to probably not be re-signed. 99% sure he will not be re-signed. And he's going to re-emerge with a veteran quarterback. And he's going to have big, high-profile, high-productivity games, just like Leonard Floyd. Bank on it. Tooch. It might be opposite yeah, Devontae Adams I'm, next year. It's, yeah, exactly. Huh? Exactly. The that, interesting that article here. Yeah, it would suck big time. Gene Chamberlain, who writes over at SI.com, their Bears Digest blog, he he writes that the Packers offense, which Luke Getzey is in essence going to be running here, although he's not calling it the Packers offense. He's saying it's our offense, and he, what he means by our is he means the assistant coaches, him, and the players are all going to develop an offense in unison. But, you know, he's going to borrow stuff from the Packers and how they did. Gene Chamberlain points out that the Packers – all had big receivers, guys over uh, six feet, 210-pound receivers, that little guys were hardly non-existent. They had 10 wide receivers. Eight of them were over 6'1 and over 210 pounds. And guys like Andrew Lazard, is that his name? Alan Lazard, he uh, – May not have caught a lot of passes, but he was so instrumental in their run game because he was such a dominant downfield blocker. And so if if the Bears are going to follow that Packer offense blueprint, then one of the things they're going to need to do is to find some big target wide receivers to replace a big target wide receiver in Allen Robinson and also add uh, to the to the roster because it's so diminished right now, particularly in the uh, wide receiver. Uh, uh, but Aldo, don't you think it's fair to say that A. Rob had a bad year? Oh yeah, fucking A. And he admitted it. He he okay. said in a, in a in his podcast, this was the worst year I could have ever had to have a bad year <laughs> going into free agency. Yeah, he had a bad year. There's no I, doubt about it. No doubt. I think if if we attribute that to to Nagy too much, we absolve him. Mm-hmm. Of having said bad year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I would agree with that. All right. Let's talk about another free agent who is going to be out there. By the way. Um, oh, yeah. Let me get rid of this. Um, the next guy on my list of free agents that uh, they talked about on uh, Hogan Johns is uh, Akeem Hicks. Everyone has been talking about Akeem Hicks is gone. There's no way he's going to come back. But I do find it interesting that Akeem 
has not talked to the media when at the end of the season, he said, when the season's over, I'll talk to you about Matt Nagy. He's got a lot of unpleasant things to say about Matt Nagy and maybe Ryan Pace. The fact that he's biting his tongue is probably a good business decision because he doesn't want to fully close that door with the Bears management and himself because he loves Chicago so much. But in any case, Hogan Johns, this is Kevin Fishbane talking about Akeem Hicks. I was going through Shiel Kapadia's top 75 free agents looking for interior D linemen because the Bears could use one. You know who the top-ranked interior defensive lineman free agent is? Akeem Hicks. Akeem Hicks. Um, now, the guy's been in a 3-4, but we know when he's out there in the nickel defense, we know what he can do with the, you know. With he can that push that pocket, yeah. He'd be fine. So it's it's like weird because I feel like physically speaking, he could be exactly what they need. Um, but when he was having those conversations with us uh, about his time in Chicago being over, he knew this was going to be a new regime, too. Yeah, I don't see him coming back. But he had a falling out with that regime, we could say. True, yeah, but I, 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 I think he like he was talking as if his time with the Bears was done. True, I think so, he hits the market too. All right. So remember how I started this segment talking about win now? These two players, A. Rob and Akeem Hicks. If you re-signed them somehow, some way, all of a sudden now, you got an opportunity to win now. You guys disagree? I would like in theory, for Akeem to stay. Because as you know, both of us, I can't speak for Tooch, but I know you and I both really like Akeem and we fans of him. But uh, Nichols is up too. He's a better player than Nichols when he's he's healthy. Mm -hmm. He's had like three straight years where he's been banged up. We only really had one game this season where he appeared to be like Akeem Hicks of old, where just like he was just firing on all cylinders and and it was like, that's the guy we've missed. But I don't want to close the door on him, not because of just emotions. It r- reminds me similarly of when we thought Lance Briggs was gone. Mm-hmm. It was just like it was an absolute guarantee that he was gone in the offseason after the Super Bowl. He was supposed to be going to San Francisco. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he gets a six-year deal with the Bears when everyone thought he was gone. He said he was gone. So it's like, We've seen this before. Maybe he is brought back one two-year deal. I don't know. Like you said, it's a brand new regime. They can uh, patch up hurt feelings because it wasn't my bet. It wasn't our fault, you know. Mm-hmm. When Akeem Hicks is healthy, he plays like a player that's worth twenty million dollars a season. But the last few seasons, it's it's proven, and I was I was always concerned about his weight and the pressure he's putting on his feet and knees and and joints. I think it's starting to catch up with him. He's he's added too much weight. During his time here with the Chicago Bears, I bet you he's added 30, 40 pounds. And if he can get in shape and you can t- sell him, or you're going to be a rotational player. We're not going to play you 60, 70 snaps. It's the same thing with Mac and Quinn. I wouldn't play them that many snaps either. I think that, you know, this whole, and we're going to talk about this a little later, this whole hits thing and then the loafing thing and stuff. You know, I think that's going to demand that a lot of players, particularly not Roquan Smith, because he's a young guy and the guy's got the energizer bunny inside of him. 
But these older guys, these guys are going to tire out, and you want them fresh for the fourth quarter. You know, Dan is always talking about, oh, the Bears' fucking defense took a siesta in the fourth quarter. Yeah, you know why? Because they've been out there all fucking game. <laughs> they finally yeah, but they out. do that even if if the offense has played well. They still do that. No, I. you know, you you got to remember this, Dan. And I used to yell at Phil and Shane about this, too. Other teams' defenses are getting burned, too. It's not like you can't expect the Bears' defense to pitch a shutout. I remember Mike Singletary saying, I'm always searching for the perfect game. If we get the perfect game, it means they get no yards rush, no yards passing, and zero on the scoreboard. That's never going to happen. And it will happen to no fucking defense in the NFL. So I think the big overall problem, when you look at it from a macro level, is that the defense is out there too long. I, well, I mean, theory, again, I can't disagree with you, but there are instances where the offense has played really well and it just came down to, okay, we just need one stop and the game's over. And if you build your team, you pound your dick and you beat your chest and puff it out that we're a defensive team. And then when you need one stop and they can never get it, that's the part that it's asinine to me. Mm-hmm. If you're a defensive team and you just need one stop and we're done, let's get that stop. And and, and that's when they let the team go 90 yards. Every time when it's time, like what, three and out here and the game is over. Well, let's let the other team have 16 plays and 91 yards and we'll lose. And, and and players on the defense will tell you that same exact thing. Like when Tooch and I were talking to Alex Brown at Soldier Field during our fantasy football draft and Alex Brown you know, uh, we told him the Thomas Jones story about how if he, they would have kept them in, they would have won. And Alex Brown said, you know, I love my brother, uh, Thomas Jones, but the defense lost that game. We didn't, we didn't stop I, Yeah, I, I've wanted to say this so many times. I, I, I love Thomas Jones as well. But Cedric Benson got hurt in the first quarter and missed the rest of the game. No, so it's didn't. not like Thomas Jones wasn't in there. He was in there like 90% of the time because Benson was hurt. No, no. He didn't get hurt in the first quarter of the Super yes, Bowl. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. I will bet you $50 right now on PayPal you. If it wasn't in I'm the first gonna... quarter, it was early second. Okay, I'm not going to bet you, man. What the fuck's wrong with you? I don't ever bet, but I, <laughs> I, did, I that's what, how confident what... I am in my remembrance of Cedric Benson's knee. Can you look this up, Tooch? What quarter did uh, Cedric Benson fumble in the Super Bowl game? No, he he fumbled early, but he also got hurt early. I think it was early. Okay. First half, yeah. I think, yeah. I told you, I, I drink and smoke during Super Bowl, so I don't remember shit. <laughs> well, what I'm saying is Thomas had a lot more carries that day than Benson because Benson was hurt. Yeah. Okay, but still to your point, uh, the defense feels the way that you know, the way that you describe how you feel, you know, they, they, they take it upon themselves. They take blame. I've heard defenders for the Chicago bears saying, doesn't matter what the offense did. We know what our job is there. Three plays and out. And when we don't hey, do hey, that, we feel bad. This is going back to super bowl 41 for you. Okay. Uh, Cedric Benson fumbled on his first rush and was knocked out of the game with a knee injury on his second carry. Holy shit. I didn't realize that. Yeah, so there you go, and and I'm looking at ESPN.com now. Bears running back Benson leaves game with knee injury. Wow. Dateline Miami. Chicago Bears running back Cedric Benson injured his left knee in the first quarter and was ruled out for the rest of Sunday night's Super Bowl against the Indianapolis Colts. Wow. Dude, man. I totally so, forgot about that. Yeah, he was hurt with 116 in the opening quarter mm-hmm. after being tackled for a four-yard gain. Mm-hmm. 
After staying on the ground for several minutes, his trainer stretched out his knee. Benson got on his feet and walked off. Hair Bear says, I can't believe you questioned Dan's memory. Yeah, I shouldn't have done that, Hair Bear. <laughs> well, that's, no, that's what I'm saying. I love Thomas Jones, but to me, the thing I've always, I wished I could have been a part of either one of his performance or appearances rather on, on the network. Mm -hmm. Cause my question would have been, well, what do you think? Cause look, I liked Grossman. I did. He was 21 and 14 as a bears quarterback, led us to a super bowl. You can say we had great defense, but he still did it. And, but Rex didn't have his best game in that reign. The no. question I would love to ask is what if we'd have turned to greasy? You think we would have won? I honestly do because Rex threw that in the fourth quarter. We were down 22 to 17 in the fourth period of that game. The, the victory was there. Mm -hmm. The victory was right there. I honestly thought if they'd have turned it, because everyone says this about Orton. Orton was the third stringer. Like he wasn't active. Like Greasy's the backup that day. And to me, if you turn to Brian, maybe that's what we needed. When it, when it appeared that they were keying on Thomas. He couldn't run anymore, and Rex couldn't throw it that day. I think he was hampered by the rain. Yeah, the play calling didn't suit what was going on. Uh, and you know that Lovey would have never, after a whole season of saying Rex is our quarterback, there's no way he's going to make a change in the middle of the Super Bowl game. So, yeah, but your goal is to win the Super Bowl, man. I, we can patch it. up our feelings in the offseason. I I get it. I, you know, but there you could have you could have made that. You know. There, there were games during the regular season where you could have made a shift too at the quarterback position because the situation required it or demanded it or suggested it. And Lovey just was very, very headstrong. I mean, one of the things that, about Lovey Smith and his new head coaching uh, opportunity at Texas uh, uh, with the Houston Texans is he has got to be a little bit more um, malleable to change because things have changed. Uh, and I'm going to be rooting for him, though. I me really too. Am. I am too. Absolutely. But if he's going to be as headstrong as he was with the Bears, there was an article I didn't get a chance to read it where the headline was Lovey Smith knows he's got he's got to change he's from his past mistakes that he's learned from those past mistakes. If if he does, then he is going to you know uh, you know change certain things that because he was just his favorite thing to say at press conferences besides Rex is our quarterback was we stay true to our beliefs. We know our system works. Dude, we get off the bus running. Yeah. That's another one, dude. And, and, and rarely was that true to be honest with you. Uh, it was an Oh five. Yeah, I guess. And when they had Kyle Orton as a rookie, man, Thomas Jones was running against eight men fronts the oh, whole season. Yes. Uh, Foster says Orton, he got us there. Hello. And so nobody brings up Orton. Now, Dan, you Orton, Orton didn't get us. He didn't play one fucking snap in 2006. Dan, you do not like Kyle Orton, do you? I don't dislike him as a man. I have no, no, no I, I have no, I didn't like him as a player. Although all my criticisms of Kyle Orton seemed to go out the window a little bit when he was in Denver because uh, Josh McDaniels was having him throw the ball. He had a couple of 300 yard games in Denver, although they were losing. Mm -hmm. But I thought in Chicago, he was Mr. Screen Pass. And mm -hmm. I mean, you just look at that game against the Falcons with all the, the cold in 05 when they finally brought Rex in. And that's the game Cruz had to separate Muhammad from basically beating up Kyle Orton on the sidelines because we were tired of his two for 12 for 13 yards in the first half. And they brought Rex in. The first pass was to Muhammad 
down the field, deeper, had more yards on one pass than Orton had in the first two quarters plus. Standing ovation when Rex came in, standing ovation when he completed that pass. To me, that's what Rex gave you. Orton was afraid to throw the ball, and it just drove me crazy. Rex and Cutler at least had the balls to throw it. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. And 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 one thing that I will never forget: an NFL Films clip of Orton mic'd up on the sideline on a snowy game. I don't remember the game. You probably do. Um, and Orton saying, "I don't care if I." complete a pass the whole game as long as we're running and picking up yards and we're winning i love this man i love it and at the time i had this feeling of yeah that's fucking great a quarterback who doesn't care about completing a pass but over the years i come to think a little bit differently about that sound that they captured in the sideline and i give him credit for at least putting winning above his own stats and his own personal performance a lot of fucking players say as but well, as i long think as we a lot of people think of kyle as you know he took us to the super bowl or something like i said he didn't play one game in 2006 rex played almost the whole season greasy got in a little bit that is true that is and true. orton in 05 got benched and rex came in and led us in the playoffs one on christmas night in green bay clinched the nfc central division title and Green Bay, Rex Grossman did that, not Kyle Orton. Mm -hmm. And in 2008, when Kyle got to start again, he had a chance to make the playoffs. It was week 17 at Houston. We had a lead, and Kyle lost. The mm -hmm. Bears lost. Had they won that game, perhaps we don't even trade for Jay Cutler. But it was obvious after that season, dude, like this guy's not good enough. Like we can't win with this guy. Was, no matter how much he's liked, they finished nine and seven, and they didn't make it. And Kyle had a chance to win and end against the Texans, and they lost. So well, those are the two things. He played a lot in 05. He got benched. He played almost the whole season in 08, uh, 15 starts. They didn't make the playoffs. What um, what year was – how many years was Orton in the NFL when we traded him to Denver for, for, for Cutler? Do you remember? Uh, he was in Denver like 09, 10, maybe 11. So At some point, and he ended up in Buffalo – and actually beat Aaron Rodgers as the member of the Bills, and he ended up in Dallas too. Yeah, but what I'm asking is how many years was he with the Bears before they traded him? Three? Uh, uh, five, six, seven, really? eight. Really? Four, uh, four years. Four? Are you certain on that? Yes, he was a rookie in 05. Okay. Because uh, we cut Chad Hutchinson after Rex got hurt in the preseason game and started Orton on opening day on 9-11-05 against the Redskins. Mm -hmm. We lost that game 9-7. to seven. Mm -hmm. That's a game that Lance Briggs hit Patrick Ramsey with the clotheslining and never played again mm -hmm. for the Redskins and uh, gave birth to Mark Brunel as the Redskins quarterback. But anyway, uh, Orton was working 05. He didn't play it down in 06. In 07, he started the last two games of the year. And in 08, he started 15. In 09, he was traded to Denver. Yeah. See, because I, I remember when they traded Orton to the Broncos, I was not a, a big Cutler fan because of his moody attitude. I thought, you know, you know, rich fucking kid. He's got this, this fucking look on his face like nothing. He's happy with that. So I was disgusted by him when he was with the Broncos, but I knew his talent. So I was happy that we finally got a quarterback who could flick the ball and it goes 60 yards downfield. Right. But I remember also thinking, you know, I just got this feeling that Orton is starting to get it and starting to play well. As I'm looking through his stats here, yeah, you know, 
really Look at the it. last game against the Texans. What did he do when the pressure was on? When it was win and you're in. In 2008? And, uh, yeah. The, the thing is, too, you have to remember, and this is what got John Gruden fired in Tampa. Mm -hmm. Like, the Bears were so far out of it. They needed Tampa to lose, like, their last three games. Mm -hmm. And Tampa lost all three of those games. Maybe the last four, mm -hmm. which is what got Gruden fired. So all they, Tampa had to keep losing. Uh, and with Brian Greasy, ironically, mm -hmm. and what that meant was the bears had a shot because they were winning those games and it came down the last week of the season. Again, you win and you're in cause all these other things went right for you and against the Texans and we lost. Laz says, wow, fucking Dan's memory. And I say, if Dan's dick is as big as his memory is long, then holy shit, he's got the biggest dick in North America. Uh, I, I wouldn't be divorced if my dick was that impressive. <laughs> but I, I got I'm the sure, stats I, here for that game, by the way. Okay, Texas, please do. Please a 31 do. to 24 loss. Orton had a good game, at least numerically. 22 out of 37, 60% uh, percentage. I'm rounding up. 244 yards passing, two touchdowns, zero interceptions, a quarterback rating of 97.1. He was sacked two times for 19 yards. Not a bad game there, Dan. Not horrible, but he wasn't good enough to get us over. I remember I was at the <laughs> Carolina game that season in week two, and at the end of the game, Marty Booker was wide open. That's the year Marty came back to us. It was wide open, would have been a touchdown to win the game on fourth that. down. And Kyle Orton threw the ball about five yards short of him. I remember that. I remember yeah, that. Yeah, he was wide open, but yeah. he couldn't get the ball down the field. Again, I was at that game. So I'm just like, God damn it. Rex would have completed that pass. <laughs> like, why is he standing on the sidelines and this guy can't throw the ball 30 yards? Yep. The factor says Dan has 30 years worth of pain stored up in his memory. <laughs> I do, man. A 30, like 87 is the first year that I was really, really, really on board. I didn't get to see all the games, but I, I, I got to see a lot, man. Cause back then, you know, the bears were the, were a bandwagon team yeah. in terms of the networks and ratings and, and they're winning. So I saw, even if they weren't on national television, I got a lot of bears games then. I would love to rebroadcast an old Bears game. You pick the game. I'll be the play-by-play -play announcer, and you do the analysis. You've seen these games so many times. I don't think I'm good enough to do the analysis, but I would try. Hey, I mean, we would break the rules on how analysis is done. You think I would be the traditional play-by-play? -play? I'd be talking about, man, that guy sucks. He fucking <laughs> 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 So anyway, let's get back uh, to the free agency talk that we had. The next big name on this list of Bears free agents and whether to sign them or whether or not, this is a huge topic. And I saw an article that the New York football giants should sign James Daniels to play their guard position at a contract valued at $10 million. This was a, a New York Giants blogger for Fansided making that recommendation to the Giants. I'm talking, of course, about James Daniels, the Bears guard, who is now a free agent. So here's somebody who could be looking at $10 million a year. Just And it, like it's a bloated market at guard. He's young. Turns 25 in September. This goes to Ryan Poles' view and vision for this offensive line. right? Like you and I, we, we talked to him. He did not see that nasty when he watched this team. Does he see James Daniels as somebody capable of that? You know, there's that, that great clip from the Raiders game, right? Where Daniels carried a guy and threw him on the ground. Um, I, 
I don't know what Ryan Poles thinks of Daniels. We don't know what he thinks of Cody Whitehair and Sam Mustafer either. Like th- this whole offensive line, you could you could bring all five guys back at the positions they ended the season at with some competition, or you can have a total influx. I I lean more to the latter because this is Ryan Poles' position, and he was been open about starting with the offensive line. So I don't know if they will seen enough from Daniels to warrant the kind of money that Daniels might get. I put down resigned. Yeah. Again, and I was torn. Some of these guys. I, I, I had them at hits the market until 10 minutes ago. What do you guys think about James? Now, let me start with you, Tooch. We haven't heard from you in a while. And PJ is saying, what the hell happened to Tooch? <laughs> He's right here. Well, I, was letting, I was listening to Dan's uh, uh, photographic memory and just I couldn't speak. Yeah, you, know, you're, you and I, and, and yeah. half the people in the chat room are in awe of how he can recall these games. Yep. It's amazing. But what do you think about bringing James yep. Daniels back? Uh, drafted out of Iowa, I think he was 19 years old when he was drafted. He, a, a lot of people in the league consider him an ascending offensive lineman, um, and you know he they should consider him that way because of his age and the fact that he has played better and better every year. What do you think? Should the Bears? Bring him back? Well, I think you can find guards anywhere, to be honest. I mean, do I like James Daniels? He's, you know, an Iowa Hawkeye. I love my Hawkeyes. Uh, but, I mean, I'm right polls. I, I just have a feeling, like uh, who was saying, he didn't see that nasty. So, I mean, maybe Ryan, uh, Ryan polls. I get the feeling, seems like the type of guy, being a former offensive lineman, who will – Uh, want to put his own stamp on the offensive line by drafting guys that he likes, you know, whether they fit his uh, grading system as, you know, a a future top offensive lineman and maybe a guy who has a nasty streak, you know, and I think if if you're going to take the next step and I'll talk about this later because uh, I think there's some keys out there that will tell you uh, where the bears are and what a lot of, uh, outsiders think of where the bears are as well. But I think uh, uh, this is kind of one of those uh, years next year where you're kind of like, let's just, you know, we, we can sign, we can, we can draft a rookie and, and put him in there and, and get salary cap room for other ascending players. Maybe they draft uh, free agents who are youngers, you know, that are uh, possibly ascending that are fit within the budget because then we're talking to Keem Hicks and we were talking uh, um, Alan Robinson, and neither of those guys. I don't. I, I. I. What I do. I like both those guys. Sure, I love Akeem Hicks, but I mean, I don't think uh, at his price he fits like what the Bears are trying to do as far as getting to the the next uh, opening of a playoff window. What do you think, Dan Aguirre? Do you think that the Bears should pay? Eight to ten million dollars. It's going to take ten million dollars. That's the going price. PJ asked, "Can we get him for eight million dollars?" Yeah, you can get get away with paying him eight million dollars a season, but you're going to have to guarantee that entire contract. Sign him for eight years, eight million. That's forty million dollars, and the guarantee is eighty percent, ninety percent, a hundred percent. Then for James I, Daniels, for James Daniels, because that's oh, that's that. the going price. Walk. You're saying go let, let him walk. Let him walk. If Ed Obranovich knows more about football than I'll ever know, uh, Big Ed has said that this guy can't play dead. I, I disagree <laughs> with Ed. I totally disagree with Ed. Dan Hampton doesn't think he's any good either. Uh, I just, I again, I'm not the expert that studies the tape and, and can tell you, like, 
every down he's done this or that. I'm not trying to reference another show either. I'm just being, I'm just cutting myself down because I'm not an expert. I'm just telling you, if you're asking me though, does it feel like this guy's worth 10 million a year? Ooh, no, I, I would, I would move on. I think you guys are being a little too harsh on James. Don't Daniels. forget. You said he was dumb. I, I said, uh, yeah, I, I said, yes, <laughs> it is true. I did, say that. <laughs> I did say that he was being interviewed by Mark Potash. And I wish I had the clip uh, handy. I would play it again, but it was obvious that, holy shit, man, this guy is, you know what I, I believe happened there is he was fed so much information about how the media is going to get you to uh, trick you, how the media is going to trick you into saying something negative about your coaching staff. Cause Mark Potash was asking him questions about the coaching staff and Daniels was saying, I see what you're trying to do there. I see what you're trying to do. And then his response just didn't make any sense. And so I tweeted that out saying, Holy shit, get rid of James Daniels. He's yeah, an yeah, they were trying to get him to make parallels between his college coach yes, and Matt, yes, and that's Matt right. Nagy. And he pretended he was like, what do you mean by winning? <laughs> He's like, I don't know. Did we win in college? It felt like a John Fox answer. Ah, it felt like a fucking dumbass John Fox, a drunken John Fox, who, by the way, has been known to have a, a several drinks, Mr. John Fox. But yeah, I mean, I'm worried about that. I, I am not uh, against allowing Daniels to walk, but I hate the idea of again another homegrown talent you let go away and he is at 24 years old he is going to be playing 10 to 25 percent better at the age of 25 26 27 well Anthony he is Miller's now. gone too it's another second round pick but, it's but, cool. yeah it's I mean that those guard are though I mean yeah but see you know, I, I disagree uh, Tooch on that. I think the interior of the offensive line in today's football is more important than the oh, outside. Yeah. Now those it's important, but those guys are easy to find, though you know. Yeah, yeah, they're easier to find than those tackles. You're right because the athleticism that's take that that takes to play the tackle position is a lot harder than a big guy. Now again, kudos to uh, Gene Chamberlain over at Sports Illustrated, who said that uh, uh, the the Green Bay Packers, if you're again, if Luke Getze is going to install some of that offense uh, approach to the Chicago Bears, the Green Bay Packers, all of their offensive linemen were all under 300 pounds with the exception of two of them. And one guy was 315, 320, but he was six foot seven tall. So the weight had to go somewhere, right? So, uh, so the, the, why, what he was pointing out was, that the offensive line for the Chicago Bears is going to go through a metamorphosis where you're going to have more agile, more fast-moving offensive linemen. And you're almost uh, – so the entire offensive line almost is going, to, is going to change because the Bears have had guys who were all the, – like the the the, the, the – uh, the guy who, who weighed the least was Sam Mustafer at 310, 315. And the only reason he weighed that much is because the Bears demanded that because of their offense. They needed more stout offensive linemen. With the Packers, because they, they have their offensive linemen running a lot, 
they 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 wanted guys who were under 300 pounds. So that's going to be a whole new change going on with the Chicago Bears if they adapt that Green Bay Packer approach to the offensive line. And if that's the case, then I can see James Daniels uh, uh, leaving, although – uh, and it was, this was brought up in the Hogan Johns podcast. Remember that one block against Minnesota Vikings where uh, James Daniels took the uh, his defender like 15 yards downfield and then just buried into the ground? Well, that's the kind of athleticism and nastiness that the Bears' current coaching staff really loves in offensive linemen. And so they may look at James Daniels and say, we, we've seen him do it on tape, so we know he can do it. Let's sign him and, uh, and and bank on the fact that he's young and, and we can get him to do it more consistently. We'll see. Dan, you're quiet. I know that means that you're fucking some woman. <laughs> no, I just, uh, I'd like, I'd love for all this to come into fruition, but I think he and Whitehair both are just not very good. And that's the thing about Whitehair, though. His contract makes it so difficult to move on from him. And Kevin Fishbane was saying, you know what? The Bears coaching staff really screwed Cody Whitehair. He was set to be the left guard of this team. And then in his rookie season, because of an injury to that stupid guy they drafted from Oregon, I forgot his name. <laughs> Hironis Grisou. Yes. They also signed Will Montgomery that year who broke his leg in yes. week four. And so they had to move uh, Whitehair to center. And Kevin Fishbane says, man, that was just uh, the – the death knell to uh, Whitehair because he's been bouncing left guard center, left guard center. He hasn't been able to establish himself. And I agree with that. I really do think that when you bring in these young guys, it's just best to leave them at one position and learn. Well, that that's position. what they did to Kyle Long too. To who? Oh, Kyle, Kyle Long. Long. Yes. Yes. I totally agree. When they drafted him, they should have put him at left tackle immediately. You got the most fucking athletic offensive lineman ever drafted in the last 10 years and you're going to put him at right guard, put him in well, that even, left tackle. Even if you do put him at right guard, you can't just move him to tackle the week of week one without any practicing camp at tackle. Exactly. Which is, which is what they did starting the 15 season. And it just, he was never the same again. Now, granted he got hurt in Tampa, but he was never the same after they moved him out to right tackle. Yep. Ryan Schlass, Schlass, it's nerd Schlass. Schleisinger. No, no, I got that wrong. Ryan says they save $8 million by uh, post-cutting white hair on June 1st. That is true, but the problem with that, Ryan, is that it creates dead money. And so uh, I don't have uh, over the cap open in front of me, but the dead money will far exceed the $8 million. So it's like you're going to get $8 million back to play with, but the salary cap is still damaged for the next several years because of that cut. It's fucked up. I don't understand this whole shit, so I don't know what I'm talking about, but I know uh, based on several uh, interview uh, reports by reputable NFL cover uh, reporters that the, the cutting of Cody Whitehair is not as black and white as what you see in those some of these websites. All right, the last guy that I want to talk about uh, in terms of free agents that Ryan Poles has to make a decision on is Bilal Nichols. And so, again, this is uh, Kevin Fishbane and Adam Johns talking on the Hogan Johns podcast about whether Ryan Poles should re-sign Bilal Nichols. I was a little surprised that he didn't get re-signed last September. I thought he was, 
you could get him for a discount. You could pat yourself on the back for finding a guy from Delaware in the fifth round who does everything you want on the field and off the field. And then he was, he had a rough first half. I mean, he wasn't productive and he was hurt um, and he was frustrated. Uh, And then the last six games, he played really well. Um, Not great, but I think he played well. The the thing about that position, John Z's, there's a lot of money that's going to get thrown around at defensive line. It's just are the Bears willing to give him not, I think he's very versatile too. So I think you, you can find a way for him to fit in this defense. I just don't know if they'll be willing to pay him. Now he's young. And again, he's an incredibly hard worker. He's the type of guy you want to have on your roster, but he's not the type of guy you need to have on your roster either. So I, I waver here. I, I think you have conversations, but you have, you set a number and you're probably not going to want to go over it. I put down hits the market for my prediction, but I almost want to rephrase it to like test the market. What do you think about Bilal Nichols, guys? John, I'll start with you this time. You think that the Chicago Bears should re-sign Bilal Nichols and see if he can play that three-tech or, you know, at the very least, uh, be a part of that rotation of defensive linemen? Because we know, based on what uh, Iberflus told us, that they, they do a rotation on defensive linemen throughout the game to keep those guys fresh. What do you think? You know, I, it, it depends on how much he's kind of looking for in uh in free agency how much uh you know because and the bears might get him at a at a lower number because he's kind of an unknown guy you know i, I don't think he has much renown out there like other you know like akeem hicks or, or other big players like that so uh he's a young player too would would i like to resign him sure he, he's kind of an animal man he's dude's very physical uh but again defensive tackles like guards or guys you could find in the draft you know uh it depends on what his price is i suppose although well um well uh, let me get dan's opinion before i i share mine dan what do you think about Bilal nichols you think he should come or come back to the bears or go away unfortunately the first three guys i say are gone and mm-hmm. i love akeem hicks but this guy i, I i'm bringing him back I don't care. I'm working it out. He's young. He's our guy. And yes, I'm saying you got to bring Nichols back. I agree with you. I am telling Bob Nichols as soon as I ink him to a new contract uh, in three or four weeks, I'm telling him go to the gym, start losing weight because the Bears had you gain a bunch of weight. I want you to be as quick as fucking possible. I want you to look at Aaron Donald tape and just be as quick as fucking possible because I want you to compete for this three-tech job. I saw tape of you, Bilal Nichols, when you were fucking sacking the quarterback, forcing fumbles, intercepting the ball, and so forth. I think you can get back to that way in in a consistent manner if you lose weight and become so fucking athletic that you're fucking competing for Tarzan movies. Go out there and get this shit done. We're going to give you a $3 million contract at about $9 million per year with... 70% 70% of it guaranteed, and let's go to work. PJ, by the way, says, Aldo, remember when uh, Kramer emphasized having a strong uh, interior offensive line? And absolutely I do. PJ, I am a big proponent of building the middle of the offensive line and then going out because if you've got a speed pass rusher on the outside, it's still going to take him two, three seconds to get to the quarterback just because of the distance. You know, unless the offensive lineman just lays down and watches him go by, goes, Ole, 
nowadays, what, and this is uh, Mike Mayock talking. Mike Mayock said, I have gone around the country and I've talked to quarterbacks, and they will tell you the most important thing is to, that quarterbacks want is to be able to step up in the pocket. Well, what the fuck does that mean? That means you need a center and two guards who can block. This is a big argument I have with draft, draft Dr. Phil and Shane. They thought that because offensive tackles are paid more that they were more valuable. No, those were in the Lawrence Taylor days. You had bad offensive tackles, especially at the left tackle, then you were going to see Joe Theismann's leg get shattered to bits. Nowadays, because of the offenses are getting rid of the ball quickly, and if they can't, they just need that extra second to step up in the pocket and create something. You need a stronger interior offensive line. Now, it still necessitates you paying a lot for offensive tackles because those are athletic freaks. Those are six foot five, six foot six guys who have nimble feet, you know. But hell, we could have won a Super Bowl with Charles Leno at left tackle. That's the fucking truth. 2018. He played at a Pro Bowl level, and yet he was a seventh-round draft pick. I'm not, I'm not advocating for his play in 2019 or beyond, but at 2018, we were able to get to the Super Bowl with a seventh-round left tackle because he was athletically gifted enough to be nimble enough to just stay in the way of a pass-rushing uh, outside linebacker and delay his approach towards the quarterback. You guys have any thoughts on this? Uh, Leno's long gone, though. Let's. Yeah, know. but it's an example. I'm not. I'm not advocating for for Leno uh, to return to the Bears. He just. No, I know. Long. I know. I agree with like he he did well that season, and uh, everything was great for him. And he got he proposed on the field after we beat Green Bay, uh, like you said, Pro Bowl year. Uh, for whatever reason, he he couldn't uh, sustain that any farther beyond that season, unfortunately. So. There are th those are the four top free agents. Now the Bears have a lot of other free agents to consider. And excuse me, I'm worried about. I want to get if I if Please. it's my GM, if it's my spot, if I'm the general manager, the two deals I want done, mm -hmm. so they don't hit the market. I want David Montgomery resigned, and I want uh, our our linebacker number fifty eight resigned before he even hits the market. All right, so let's take David Montgomery first. Um, David Montgomery is signed for this upcoming season, so he's going to play. The I want him to get, to get an extension. Okay. So running backs with his productivity are averaging anywhere between 8 to 11 million. So if he has a big season, as I anticipate he's going to have in 2022, he's going to demand about $11 million. Do you want to pay that much to a running back in today's NFL offensive world? Yeah, well, hopefully you can re-sign him before he has that big year and you have another three years tacked on to it. You know, mm -hmm. that's – I want him back, though, man. And he's our draft pick. I don't want this guy walking, like, as, after his fourth year. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm willing if you are and going – And Rokon, too, man. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, if you're going to have a commitment to the run game and, and say, all right, we want to sign this guy – We'll give him what he wants because we're committed to him as a major part of the offense. Then, yeah, $10 million a year for a three-year contract with 60% guaranteed, to me, makes sense. What do you think, Tooch? Well, boy. I, uh, expensive, it, John Santucci. Yeah, I, I love David Montgomery, man. I, and uh, 
I'm I'm for re-signing the guy. He's just, you know, he's a special. He does it in the passing game. He does it in the running game. And you need two guys. You, you know, you, you're going to need Khalil Herbert. And our running back's easy to find, sure. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, David Montgomery, you know, he's the guy that moves the chains. You know, uh, do and, and I agree with you about the guards being important. You know, that's what quarterbacks want. They want, you know, what's right in front of them protected so they can step up in the pocket. But mm-hmm. what, what wins, you know, uh, Super Bowls is having, a, you know, a, a cohesive offensive line, you know, not just, you know, you need all all five to be uh, good, if not great on an offensive line. And, and that's. You know they've got a, they've got young pieces to build with on that offensive line. The two young tackles, Borum could play guard too if they if they sign a a left tackle in free agency. And there's you know uh, one or two out there that are young players that the Bears could sign. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, as far as David Montgomery, I I think uh, I don't think you can extend him this year. I think he's going to be uh, on on a prove it. You know you know just. The Bears, the Bears always do this kind of thing where they, you know, they, they should, like Dan says, they should extend him, but they won't because they're gambling that he has a down year or gets injured or something like that, and they can get him cheaper. You know, and that's kind of the situation they're in where they have to get guys that are cheaper mm-hmm. just because the salary cap hell they're in. Tony Moy says, I would rather pay receivers and tight ends, which brings up a really interesting question. I'm of the old school. I think Tooch is with me. We build from the offensive line. You pay those guys, and it almost doesn't matter who is catching these passes as long as they can get open just a bit and they've got a little stick them in their hands. They're going to catch passes, and you're going to have a good offense. But the things have changed, and you're getting rid of the ball so quickly. Should we consider that maybe it's best to focus on getting playmakers, guys who can catch a four-yard pass and turn it into a 40-yard play because they're breaking tackles, because they have extraordinary speed, because they can do things like – you know, the old time greats, Tooch and I grew up watching guys like Gale Sayers. Although Tooch is a little too young to watch Gale Sayers, but he knows what Gale Sayers does. When he started watching football, there were still plenty of Gale Sayers highlights going on. We saw what those guys can do with the ball after the catch. And that's what today's NFL is is primarily now. When when Ed O'Brien, Ed O'Brienovich complains that, oh, he didn't throw the ball over the, the first down marker. That's not today's. NFL today is that you throw it to the guy, you complete the pass, and you then tell that guy, pick up the five yards that are that you need for the first stop. That's the game that's being played because what is happening? You're 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 rushing three guys, sometimes four, and everybody else is guarding the uh the first down marker. And so it's so difficult to complete a pass. Past that first down marker, you've got to fucking be able to pick it up on third and long. Ma- the majority of the time, you've got to be able to pick it up before you get to the first round. you got to have playmakers to do that. Dan, any thoughts? I still think David Montgomery is our best running back since Thomas Jones. I'm not trying to besmirch uh, Matt Forte, but I think he's better than Matt Forte. And I, I say we have we have to work it out, man. we got to bring this guy back. And the other thing about what you just said there, Dan, is because everything evolves, everything changes, right? So now you got the defenses going back with seven to eight guys back in coverage and so forth. So what's the best way to combat that? Fucking run the ball. Run the ball. 
and this guy can run. That's right. And what's brilliant about David Montgomery is that if it's a defensive back going up trying to tackle him, I feel sorry for the guy. He's going to punish him. He's going to fucking knock him in the face, knock him down, run over him, put his spikes up his balls, and just run over him and pick up the first down. So you make a good point. Other than Justin Fields, to me, he's the best player. Uh, Fields is all on uh, the guy we hope he's going to be, but the potential is just massive, it feels like. But right now, other than Fields, he's the best player we've got on offense, period. Mm -hmm. All right. We've talked free agents. I want to get one more clip in. It's about a totally different subject, but I heard this from Dan Bernstein over at the Score Sports 6. Uh, oh, this is the thing about the loafing? Yes. How'd you know uh, that? Did I tell you about it? No, no. I saw it on Twitter myself. Oh, okay. So I didn't I didn't realize it was you – know, I, I, I've taken some time off from social media. Every once in a while, I just need to get away from it. And so the last uh, few weekends, I've been off of it. But um, – this is Dan Bernstein, 670 to score. I love the guy, the way the way this guy enunciates his words. Holy fucking shit, man. Did he come out of the womb and enunciating his cries and his blah, blah, blahs? Anyways, uh, Dan Bernstein is 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 has an issue with the metric system that the Bears are going to employ to account for how, if Bears players are loafing. They're going to be graded, and they're going to – it's going to be discussed openly with the whole team uh, uh, whether they're loafing enough, uh, 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 loafing too much. And so this is a, a – just a portion of it. I, I grabbed three minutes of Dan Bernstein's rant about it. Let's listen to it, and we can talk about it in the other end. The, the issue with this sort of high school grading of how hard you try at the pro level – my fundamental problem with this is what we always gloss over. What is the actual truth of the NFL and what Paul Brown calls the eternal verities, the eternal truths about this game, hustle and speed and the ability to bring force. You know what else is an eternal truth of football? Injuries. Guys are hurt all the time. Constantly whether they're on an injury report or not, whether they tell you about it or not. The, the ultimate eternal truth is the physical and human toll caused by not being 100%, and they don't want to talk about it. But that's the real eternal truth. And if you're going to give a guy a loaf and you didn't try hard enough, you know what, coach? My leg hurts. I'm sorry. And I'm busting my ass out there because I'm hurt. And I can't tell you, I mean, the trainer says up or down. Well, you know what? I'm up because I got to put food on the table and I got to do the absolute best I can. And if you want to give me a loaf on that, I'm sorry. You want to put this slap dong ahead of me who's not hurt, who's going to play 100% and hustle and give you all that eyewash? You go ahead and do it. You want me out there at 80% doing everything I can do? How do you think Khalil Mack feels? Khalil Mack has been hurt almost the entire time he's been here. And still, every time, doing what he can. And you're going to get in, you're going to get in a meeting room and you're going to stand up there and say, well, Khalil, look at this. You weren't going that hard. I'm in pain, coach. Sorry. You're going to put me up in that score. We're going to bench my ass. You go ahead and bench my ass. My, my back hurts. My legs hurt. I got a, I got degenerative conditions in my body. You're gonna give me a damn loaf. It's the NFL. They're pros. It makes me crazy to say these are objective truths. My ass, they're objective truths. You can watch that film. Do you know film? 
There's, there is a story behind everything that happens in every play. There is a story behind why somebody was here or why somebody was there. And when you want to say, well, you didn't run on the field hard enough. I just got out of the blue tent. I got a concussion that I didn't want to tell you about. I didn't know what, which, which way was up. I didn't remember getting a text from my wife after the game. And it gave me a damn loaf. Stick it. It just This kind of thing at this level makes me crazy. You want to add that as, as an element? You, I, I understand if you want to say, hey, we're going to make this a part of things. We're going to use this as an evaluative tool. But when this is fundamental, when, th- when you are so in the church of effort and, and, the tr- and this, this, this principle that guides everything you do, I don't know. I don't, I, not at this level. Oh, my God. This guy's never played football. Never fucking played football. You know what? I agree with only 10% of what he said. The tape, you know, somebody, Phil uh, uh, the tape never lies. I would argue with him. The tape does lie sometimes because sometimes you're evaluating a player who you don't know if his fucking dick is swollen because he was fucking on eye or he's got an ankle problem that hasn't been gone on the... So you can be judging and evaluating a player that you don't know if an injury was impairing him. You know, the tape generally tells the truth but there are some things that it leave, leaves out what i have a problem with is the fact that this guy dan bernstein believes that telling players you're fucking being lazy on the sh- on the football field that you're not running hard enough is a bad thing no it's not dan that's a good thing. You want all the players pointing at each other. Are you going 100%? If not, get off the field and bring in a guy who is lesser, but at least he's fresh and will at least run to the loose ball, will at least run to try to make a tackle because you're not doing it because you're too fucking tired. So that's what Dan Bernstein doesn't understand. He doesn't understand that even if it's a great player like Khalil Mack, but if he's running half-ass after a ball carrier who's five yards in front of him, there's no way he's going to catch him. But maybe the backup player who has fresh legs could possibly catch him. That's what he doesn't understand. I mean, there's so much wrong with that fucking argument. And for him to get so incensed that the the Bears coaches are going to use this high school system to grade these players on their 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 loafness, there's nothing wrong with that. You got to use some metric. You got to hold players accountable. Do you fucking like it that Eddie Jackson didn't tackle somebody when he was down in game one of the season? Do you fucking like it that Jalen Johnson didn't tackle somebody who was down in game 17? Do you fucking like it in between? There was example after example of players not playing hard. And a lot of times it wasn't because they were, they were tired. It was because they were disinterested, because they were uninspired, because they were just bad. And so that has to be held accountable, Dan Bernstein. And if you don't get it, then that proves to me that you don't know shit about sports. Now, we go on. Dan, you have anything to add? John, anything? Yeah, I, I never understood by listening to that why he was so, like, mad. And it, like, it was like he was taking exception to this, like, personally. Like, maybe at some level he was accused of loafing or something. Uh, as Bear fans, like you pointed out, those two plays and so did George McCaskey. If you recall in that first press conference, absolutely. Uh, about, 
you know, the safety not coming over or, or the corner later and touching the guy and allowing to, him to get up. And don't forget, in week 17 of 2013, that cost us with people looking at the ball and the Packers picked it up and scored in a game that was winner in, you know, if winner's in, loser's out. So there's so many instances over the years where the Bears have been, uh, you know, not properly coached. And I think that's why so many people still uh, have this admiration for Lovey is because his guys, and I don't personally give Erlacher enough credit, you know, but that team, they, uh, you know, you had the peanut punch. That team maybe wasn't the best, but they, but they had that hustle. And lastly, I will say to Bernstein's point about being hurt, you can't tell me that Matt Eberflus isn't going to understand the impact of injuries and be able to assimilate that data. Great point. Like he knows. Yeah. Hey, you're fucking lo- uh, loafing out there. I know you got a broken leg, but I don't care. Come on, Dan Burster, you fucking idiot. Jesus Christ. Yeah, he's going to know, like, man, look, he had a loaf, but we also know that we just wrapped his fucking ankle. Exactly. Like, he's going to be able to interpret that <laughs> better than me or Dan Bernstein. Mm-hmm. Yep. John, what do you think? I mean, I, I think Bernstein was just on a theatrical performance there to find something to rant about when he probably didn't believe it himself, because if he did, then he really is an idiot. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Perhaps, Perhaps like, like this show, he just had to fill some time. Dan's exactly right. Iberflus is going to know who's hurt. Come on. I like the love system. Yeah, I like holding players accountable. I mean, we need that fucking attitude. Let's see what Christopher House says. It's all shit, although I, I, I had no, no idea you're from Humble Park. <laughs> After you said that, I could see the old school Latin King in you. Yeah. By the way, I was I almost got my ass kicked by a Latin King member. Uh, I wasn't in the Latin Kings. I was in a different gang. I won't name the uh, name the name of the gang. But um, I was getting high with my friends and we ran out of reefer and there was a bunch of Latin Kings down in the corner, dark night. They were, you could just see them like the, the silhouette by the street light. And people were saying, man, we should go over there. I, I know they sell reefer. I know they sell reefer and so forth. And so fuck it, man, I, I'll go. So I went over there with 20 bucks in my pocket and so forth. And when I got close, there was this guy who was like, he looked like, remember that big guy who was in the James Bond movie, uh, the Goldfinger movie with the steel teeth? And he was Jaws. also Jaws, yeah. yeah and and he was also in the longest yard, uh, you know, that I broke his fucking neck. You know, that guy, he's in a lot of movies, big, big, tall guy. Yeah, Richard Menacee. Keel. Richard Keel, thank you. And so this guy, he's a member of the Lion Kings. He looks just like Richard Keel. And he says to me, get the fuck out of here. And I go, yeah, but I, I got money. I, 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 And he pushes me. Did you hear me? Get the fuck out of here. All right. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> with, my, with my tail between my legs, I go back. And yeah, I, they weren't uh, really uh, receptive to somebody that didn't know by reefer from them. <laughs> anyway, that's my Lion King story. Um, all right, guys. I want to switch gears yet again because last week, Oh, Jesus Christ, we're running out of time with Dan. Fuck, Dan. 
You got to quit one of these jobs, man. <laughs> told you, man, this fucking basketball season is killing me, man. But there, there is no game next Tuesday night. So. All right. So what do you want to talk? You, you want to hold off Bill Cosby till next week and talk about the Super Bowl? Yeah, yeah, sure. All right. So let's talk Super Bowl. Bill Cosby, all three of us, John, uh, Dan. Dan, have you watched all four episodes? I have. Okay. Uh, and myself, we've watched all four episodes. We want to talk at length about it because it is a really uh, – uh, it, it's, it affects you. Anyone who watched Bill Cosby, grew up with Bill Cosby, like the three of us did, uh, it, it really, really affected us. And so we want to give it enough time to talk uh, about it at length. But in the last 30 minutes that we have Dan here, uh, Dan uh, wants to talk about Super Bowl memories. And I have a few. There's a few things that I remember, but I don't remember too much. Just but, jump in, man, so I, yeah, we can play off of it. Please, go go right ahead. Start yeah, you, us off. You, you go ahead. You said you had some. I'm interested. I want to hear what you have to say. Well, one of the, the biggest uh, Super Bowl memories that I have was that Cincinnati Bengals, San Francisco 49ers Super Bowl because – I was so enamored with the 49ers offense and that West Coast offense. I really understood it. I, I, I said this before. I went out and bought the Bill Walsh uh, coaching philosophy book and so forth. Really understood the three, five, seven-step drop for the quarterback, getting the, rid of the ball on time. You, you fade back three steps, and then you plant and you throw. You don't fucking look around and so forth. No, everything is based on timing. And I was coaching a flag football team at the time, and I was trying to teach that philosophy to the flag football team. Humble Park, we played. And um, and so we, we, we're trying to uh, implement a lot of that Bill Watts stuff. And so that Super Bowl game to me just crystallized so much of that Bill Walsh offense and that winning play to John Taylor, the winning touchdown play was exactly that. He took, he took that drop back. I believe it was five steps planted and threw to uh, Taylor. And, and, and that was just a work of art for those of us who appreciate the game of football and the X's and O's and the plays and so forth. That was just such a work of art. And on the other hand, I have such an appreciation for the fact that the Bengals played so tough and were still in the game. I expected that game to be a blowout. I totally expected the 49ers to win by one of those back then Super Bowl scores were generally 49 to 10, 38 to 14, you know. There were there weren't any close games and that's one of the first Super Bowl games that was close. And so kudos to uh Kenny Anderson their quarterback at the time. No, 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 that was Boomer. Excuse me, Boomer Esiason uh and uh that that to me I was just going to say memorable, but I didn't remember the quarterback for the Bengals. Kenny, <laughs> Kenny played in the first one uh, against San Francisco right. in Super Bowl 16. Right, right. The 23 play that you're referencing, it's uh, the Bengals dropped an interception to play before that would have clinched the game. And then the next play, Montana hit Taylor, but he threw a pick in the play before, but they dropped it. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's just sickening. Man, I was so butthurt after the Bears lost the NFC Championship game. I'm still mad about the 88 title game, mm -hmm. but we lost that game. And the only reason we lost is because Richard Dent was out. I mean, I, they, the, the, when Dent was there pressuring Montana in the regular season, we held them to like nine or 10 points. Mm -hmm. We couldn't get any pressure on him in the title game. And he ate us a fucking lie. And that's the big disparity is the fact you've got no pressure. And then you had immense pressure when there was immense pressure. Guess what? He couldn't even get a touchdown, mm -hmm. but yeah, so we lose and getting that Super Bowl, I'm all for Cincinnati uh, because 
um, again, the title game the week before, and then they drop that fucking pick, and then he throws a touchdown. I'm sick. Dan, fucking sick. Dan, can hey. you uh, – I'm sorry to interrupt. Can you respond to what Jeremy has uh, put up on the chat room? We lost the NFC Championship to those fucking Niners. I remember that loss. I was eight years old, and I cried like a little bitch. <laughs> Jeremy, yeah. you're with us, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I was saying. Oh, I'm I, sorry. I, I apologize. I was distracted. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was talking about how you were rooting for San Francisco in the Super Bowl. I was like, fuck that. I was so mad and hurt over the title game. I was rooting for Cincinnati. Gotcha. And uh, Cincinnati had two things go against them as well. The, their guy, Stanley Wilson, went AWOL mm-hmm. and, and like, fucking lost his mind before the game and wasn't there. And Tim Crumry, their best defensive player, broke his leg in the first quarter. Yeah. This is the game I was going to mention, too, as standing out as one of my favorite Super Bowl memories, too. Now, the, the 49ers beating the Bears, that was the 28-3 to uh, game. Yes, right it there. was. It was horrible. Oh, I was at that game. You were there. Uh, oh, I was shit. at the game. And, uh, man, I had such high hopes. I was like, man, they're coming in here. And, they, you know, it's going to be, it was, da- you know, it's going to be so cold. The West Coast offense, you know, is not going to do anything. You know, Bears defense is going to, you know, and it was tw- 28 to 3 pounding. It was so cold there, although I, I, I must have had like four layers of clothing. I was still froze my ass off. This is the game I was telling you about where the hot chocolate was poured out. And it was, you know, there was no heat at all poured out at the vendors. I, I, you know, ordering hot chocolate, I was like, by the time it got into my glass, it was like chocolate milk instead of uh, hot chocolate. But yeah, the and then uh, uh, the Super Bowl. I went back to college that year and watched uh, the Super Bowl up in my dorm room with uh, a bunch of guys. And the, you know, remembering the Tim Crum Rivers, you know, his broken leg just flopped around. It was really gross. And the, I was surprised too. The Bengals were so uh competitive in that game you know like like you said uh that uh we expected the 49ers to blow them out you know with with that great offense and uh and the Bengals were not uh, really competitive but yeah that was one of the Super Bowls I was going to mention as well what do you got Dan I, on your list well I, I who who were you throwing it to me or to it yeah you, uh Dan you I didn't like 23 again I was so bothered over the the Bears losing I, I didn't like that game. I, it's the same thing with Super Bowl 45 when we lost to the Packers. I hated that fucking Super Bowl with Green Bay and Pittsburgh. Hated every second of it. The, every snap, I thought we should have been there. And it just, I was in, like green with envy. Mm-hmm. But uh, to start with Super Bowls that I loved, how about the Green Bay Packers losing to the Denver Broncos in Super Bowl 32 and Elway finally winning? That was in fucking incredible because they, again, Elway had won. If you recall, the year before, they lost at home, and they were 14-2 and two and lost to the Jaguars at Mile High. Mm-hmm. And Elway's kid said that that's the only time they ever saw their dad cry, and he contemplated retirement. Mm-hmm. And uh, he got there the next season as a wild card, and they had to beat Jacksonville in the first round, got revenge there. They had to go to Arrowhead in the second round. Uh, they beat Kansas City. And then they had to go to Pittsburgh for the AFC Championship game. They're underdogs in all of these games, essentially. And, and they win. They go to the Super Bowl. They're like 12-point underdogs. Everyone thinks Green Bay is going to beat them in a rout. Even Elway's parents said, well, his mom specifically said, oh, no, we have to go back to another Super Bowl. <laughs> because they remembered those three losses, you know, 21 and 22 and 24. 
And and 22, you know, they were up 10 nothing, and they were favorites in that game uh, to beat Washington, who I was, again, rooting for Denver so strongly because they had beaten the Bears in the playoffs, the Redskins. So uh, to bring it back, though, all all that, and then it came down to the one last play on fourth down and um, far through the threw over the middle to the alleged uh, babysitter fucker, uh, Mark Chimura, and Catino Mobley's cousin, John Mobley, knocked down. And you see, you see Elway's dad in the booth celebrating that the, his son has finally done it. And just that, that moment, they carried Elway off the field. For that one day, I was a Bronco, man, because they beat that fucking Packers team, whom I absolutely hated. Uh, hated everybody on that team. Maybe the only person probably I didn't hate, uh, I don't even know if BB was on the second team. I didn't hate Don BB because he'd gone through those losses with Buffalo. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I didn't hate Jim McMahon. Both of them were on the 96 team. I don't know if BB was there still in 97. McMahon wasn't. He had retired. He said he was so fucking bored being the backup. And um, so anyway. The Green Bay game to me and Denver, that's where I start of just absolute adulation to see the Packers lose. Yeah, you know, it's funny about my relationship with the Packers has has never been like most Bears fans. It hasn't been until the last 10, 15 years, I'm 62 years old, that I've really grown a dislike for the Packers, and it has to do with Favre and Rodgers and the fact that they got so Well, that fucking- was Favre, Aldo. Where, you're rooting for Favre in that game? Tell me you weren't rooting for No, Favre. no, absolutely okay. not. Absolutely not. <laughs> but my, my, my uh, I didn't have that, you know, uh, fiery feeling to- against the Packers until later in my life when it, when it grew. As a kid growing up, I hated the Packers because Forrest Gregg, you know, was cheap shot in the Bears. And there was a that read about the history of the Packers and the Bears. But it really didn't come into fruition until Favre and, and Rodgers and the consecutive, you know, the fact that this franchise got these two Hall of Fame quarterbacks back to back and the Bears have never had. That's when it really crystallized for me. I always hated the Packers, but I never it didn't really crystallize for me. My hatred for them until the whole double quarterback Hall of Fame uh, thing happened. So when I watched that Elway Favre game, um, it, it I still didn't hate the Packers like I do now. But I, I, you know, I understand what you're saying, and 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 I applaud fans. I think that that really appreciated the rivalry. Guys like you, I mean, you don't live in Chicago, uh, Dan, and so the fact that you you gravitated towards that rivalry in a stronger way than I did, I, I applaud you more than than. You know. I mean, Charles Martin cemented that. Yeah, I mean that that is true. I mean, Forrest Gregg was a was a bum. You know, I hate to say it because the guy's in his grave and stuff. Hall of Fame players. So is Charles Martin, but fuck both of them. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they they these guys behaved in a criminal manner. They couldn't play the game fair and square. They, Forrest Gregg was telling his players to purposely injure Chicago Bears players. Matt Suey's dragged out of out of bounds and pushed over the bench. You know, they, they were they were being coached that way by Forrest Gregg, and that's no way for any coach and any yeah. era of football to coach. You mentioned Suey. There was the play. Uh, fuck, what's the guy's name? He's a wide receiver now. Uh, or no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. He was a safety. His dad was a safety in Green Bay. He takes off running full speed. There was talks of the Bears getting this guy a few years ago. He went. He was in Miami and with the Texans. 
Uh, but the, the dude took off, his dad took off running full speed and Suey was standing there because the play was over, the whistle had blown and he was just standing there, you know, flat footed. And the guy came and hit him running full speed and, and collided with Matt when he wasn't even ready for it and was flat footed. Mm-hmm. It was so fucking dirty. If you know the play I'm talking about yeah, that, again, do. that was an 85. I do. I do remember that. Uh, Foster cover says, look this up. Hallis saved the Packers and told them to hire Lombardi. It goes beyond that, Foster. The, it, Hallis gave the Packers a loan because they weren't able to meet their payroll and they were ready to leave the league. And it was uh, Hallis, I think that he gave them the loan or he he asked, he, he spoke on behalf of the Packers for the league to give them a loan. And if it wasn't for George Hallis, that small market team, from Green Bay would not still be in the NFL. He saved that organization. He saved that franchise. That doesn't doesn't mean shit other than he was wrong to do it. So that way we wouldn't have been fucking haunted by those, by those Hicks. (laughs) Anyway, so what else you got, Dan? uh, Let me add one real quick one here. Please. The Rams 23, the Titans 16. Oh yeah. That to me was like this is what the Super Bowl should be. <laughs> yeah, the Rams were winning. Yes. Uh, 16-0, I think. I think you're And right. then the Titans came back and tied it. Mm-hmm. And there's that famous uh, image on the sidelines of Jeff Fisher like saying, they think this fucking game is over. They think it's done. They think we're done. Mm-hmm. And he was rallying. the, And they, they came all the way back. And then as soon as they did, they've come back. They were down, like I said, 16. It's 16 nothing now. It's tied. First fucking play. They've come back the whole second half. And what happens? The first goddamn play, Kurt Warner goes deep to Isaac Bruce. You've, you've taken the whole second half to come back. Touchdown Rams. Outstanding. And the way the game concludes. Uh, and yeah, and, the, and McNair takes them right back down the field and says, fuck your touchdown. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they run out of time. If, if they don't run out of time, there's no way that that game doesn't go to overtime. And even furthermore, Mike Jones, the linebacker, basically is beaten because of the scheme, has to make an incredible effort to tackle, was it like Isaac Bird maybe? Uh, anyway, it was somebody yeah. that got tackled like at the half-yard line for the game to end just an incredible game. And the, the fact that we know what happened to Steve McNair right afterwards, a couple of years later too, it's just tragic. Was so guy was so great. Oh, he really was he, he, the kind of guy I would have loved to have seen him wearing, wearing a bears uniform. And I'll add to that game. Uh, the, uh, what was it? The two years beforehand, uh, two years later, um, Patriots 20 Rams 17, Another great game that I saw, there was a couple of years, uh, two or three years where I went to Las Vegas, the hotels would have a huge space where everybody could go drink and eat for fucking free, but they had these, these betting booths throughout this huge, huge ballroom. And there, it was surrounded by. We were surrounded by big screen TV, so we could we everywhere you sat, you had a great view of the TV, big ass thirty foot uh, projection TVs, 
And below them were these betting booths. And so you would go and make a bet, you know, whether there's a prop bet, a game, a bet on the game and so forth. And so you're there with a bunch of drunken guys and there's pretty girls serving drinks and stuff. I had a time of my life and the game was outstanding that, uh, that uh, Patriots uh, 20 to 17 game. Wasn't that the first Super Bowl that Tom Brady won or, or one of the, it early was, ones? it was, yeah. it was, that was also <laughs> the last time that, we got individual player introductions because the Patriots came out as a team. Oh, that's right. <laughs> we're cheating as a team, so we're coming out all as one. That's I right. hate that fucking dynasty. I hate everybody on those teams. I can't stand the Patriots. I hate Tom Brady. I'm glad he's gone. New England cheated in that game, too. They were, they were cheating. They were fucking videotaping the Rams' practices. Yeah, that's that's right. where all this shit started. They did that to the Eagles. They did it to Carolina. They did that to the Rams. This is a quick, a quick aside. Do you think that Tom Brady wanted to play outside of New England so that he could be uh, uh, separated from all of those cheating accusations and and facts? You know, uh, some of them have been proven. Uh, the deflate thing is still controversial, but there is obvious things that Bill Belichick did that he cheated. Do you think that Tom Brady wanted to leave New England so that he could be remembered as the quarterback who wasn't always associated with an organization that had cheated repeatedly? That's certainly a good point. And he, if that's what he wanted, he definitely succeeded. He, he did. All right, uh, Dan, give us another game uh, because we know we've got about 15 minutes with you. Man, I know I could talk about this shit all night too. Oh, um, Nobody else cares about these the old games. Uh, even the ones like before I was born excite me, you know, like uh, one that was always criticized by even like Steve Sable and stuff that I enjoyed immensely was Super Bowl five. Mm -hmm. the, uh, the, the Cowboys and the Baltimore Colts. The Colts oh, are coming yeah. off of that epic loss to the Jets. It's the first year of the merger. So it's the first year, no AFL. Mm -hmm. And the, the Colts lost that game to Joe Namath two years before. And they've beaten the Raiders in the AFC championship game. And, and here they are. They're in the Super Bowl again. And they've got Dallas, a, a team that has epically lost these close games like the Ice Bowl and the game where uh, Don Meredith uh, got picked off at the end, the 66 title game. And then they kept running into Paul Warfield when he was with the Browns. So they had all these teams that, like, was viewed as, oh, they're championship ready. And then they've lost like four or five title, you know, postseason games in a row. And they, they finally made it. So they're finally in the Super Bowl against the team that had this epic fucking collapse two years ago. Mm. And there's so much tension. The whole game is, is tight. They, but the Colts win the game with like seven turnovers. Mm -hmm. Dallas has like four or five turnovers. It's just, but the, the effort is there and the tension between both teams is there the whole game. Both teams want it. And it's just one of those cliches you hate to see a team lose. And when they do lose, uh, infamous Im images from, um, uh, from uh, God, what was the big stud player from the, the Cowboys in that the, era? The tight end you're talking no, about? No, no, on defense. Uh, Bob Lilly. Bob Lilly, yeah, yeah. Bob Lilly throws his helmet almost mm -hmm. as high as the stands in the Orange Bowl. He's so disgusted that they lost. Mm -hmm. Uh, so many weird things happened. Like there was a play. See, Unitas got, got hurt mm -hmm. in, in Super Bowl three. Earl Morrill, Earl Morrill was the AFL or I'm sorry, the NFL MVP that year mm -hmm. because Unitas was out the whole year essentially. But in, when we go to the Super Bowl five, Johnny's the starter again. 
but he gets hurt. So they've brought Earl in to redeem himself from the loss two years ago. Mm-hmm. And and he does, but you have this weird play like this, just every, this just symbolizes the Super Bowl. He throws a play. They do it like a, a botched flea flicker. They always ran this play where the, the, the halfback would go laterally about four yards and then throw it back to the quarterback. And then he would throw and hit the tight end in the scene. Mm-hmm. So they they run this play hundreds of times under Don Shula. And here it is again. And, Dow, and um, Dallas is ready for it. So he throws the ball to Mackey, but Mackey can't get to it. The defender's in the way. So the running back, uh, what was his name? Fuck. Um, I'll, I'll come back to that. Okay. But the running back catches it instead, and he's running, and then he fumbles, and, and it goes out of bounds, and it's a touchback. Just like everything that could go wrong in this game went wrong, like just from both sides. But again, it was just like everyone's tense from the start of the game. Ends up being 16-13 with uh, the rookie Jim O'Brien kicking the field goal to win it. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed that game immensely, and it's on YouTube. Like, uh, you know, uh, Kurt Gowdy's uh, d- announcing it, so it's kind of boring of his. Yeah, you're not a, you're not a big Gowdy fan, right? <laughs> he just doesn't sell the story, man. He never tells you what's what's really happening. You, you know, like if you go back and you listen to, I know he's a giant, so but if you go back and listen to Pat Summerall, mm-hmm. like in uh, we were mentioning the '88 title game with Tuchel a minute ago. When the broadcast comes on, you know, the first thing he says, you know, we're live. It's sold out Soldier Field. Mm-hmm. And the winner of this game will play Cincinnati in the Super Bowl. Like, he's constantly telling you the story. Mm-hmm. And it's built up. You have this package, the pre, the package of the whole season, you know, for both teams. And now you don't ever get that. And, like, like Joe Buck doesn't sell that. Joe Buck's not like, today is the oh, NFC Championship game. The winner is going to the Super Bowl. Like, like. Pat was selling that with like intensity and so did Dick Enberg. Like the story, man, you don't even have to be a football fan. You're going to know what's up because they're going to sell it for you. True. And these, these announcers don't do that anymore. Even if they do, there's not a, a package before the game where it's just like, do you, think any of you know, back like a four minute package, the yeah. NFC championship and they're just selling the game. They don't do that. It's casual. They'll be playing some random hip hop music and, Welcome to the game today. It's the title game, and I'm Joe Joe Buck, and this is Troy Aikman, and we're going to talk about nothing. And here's Aaron Andrews, and oh, isn't she cute? Yeah, she took uh, her job. She got her job just because of her looks. She has no substance whatsoever. Hey, let's kick the ball off. <laughs> Here Poor is Pam Oliver lost her gig because she wasn't a blonde Barbie. Ah, oh, I love Pam Oliver, and she she is... lost her gig because she's not a blonde Barbie. I agree she was you. their number one. Sideline reporter until Aaron Andrews come running over from ESPN. Yep. Uh, that's a, a story for another show where we're talking about stuff like that. Cause that, you know, it could take two hours. Uh, we have plenty of examples to, to show that there has been, you know, bias, let's say uh, towards certain types of, of reporters, especially the sideline reporters. But I wanted to play for you. Uh, Kurt Gowdy's call on the immaculate reception. Uh, this is it. Last chance for the Steelers. Bradshaw trying to get away. And his pass is broken up by Tatum. Tipped off. Michael Harris has it. And he's over. What? Michael Harris. Grab the ball and a deflection. 
You know, so when you're down on, on Kirk Gowdy not selling the game, I, I just, you know, that was. Go style. back and watch Super Bowl three. I, I will, because I think you sent it to me. Uh, so I will definitely do that. You watch Super Bowl three. He should be pounding the drum that I, this young, cocky, overpaid, whatever one perceived as overpaid quarterback with his white fucking shoes and his big ass mouth, whom I love, Joe Namath, is 18 point underdogs. And not only has he said. We're going to win. I fucking guarantee it, which had never happened before. And the AFL was a team, a league that had never beaten the NFL before and was viewed as years away from the NFL. And they're 18 point underdogs. And not only are they fucking doing it and they're smashing and they're the AFL announced team that NBC was the, a, the AFL league. The CBS was the NFL league. So it's on their channel. Their team is winning. And Joe Namath, He's not even talking about this kind of shit. Like he should be saying, "We're this is going to be the biggest upset in sports history." Hey, Aldo, what do you think's going the ramifications of such a uh, a win? Could this lead to a a league merger? It obviously did. You didn't hear any of these kind of conversations. And, and like, uh, go ahead. I, I go ahead. I, I I'll just have a quick thought. No, 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 I you still, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I just want to say that you know that game was broadcast i believe by cbs and nbc no no that was super bowl one okay so that was and then super bowl two was on cbs three was on nbc okay exclusive. so that's when they started the rotation all right so back then it was just broadcasting was just so different like one of the announcers that i love a lot is ray scott who was doing he did super bowl one he announced that and his was a very low key i mean you would hear the crowd noise much, much more than his play-by-play. And I really enjoyed that. I, I enjoyed his deep baritone voice. His, his Wasn't his, he a Packer announcer on radio? I don't know that for I sure. I think he was. I mean, that's why you like him. Underneath it all, you're a Packers fan. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that explains why you don't like Ray Scott. Anyway. Yeah, I, I don't like I, – I, I thought Ray, Ray – his color guy was Pat Summerall. <laughs> That is, uh, and they had true. Pat doing the color. Like to me, you compare Ray to Pat. Pat's a hundred to one over Ray. Uh, I, I At the play-by-play, Pat could do the, the color too. But I think Pat was Mister Play-by-Play to me. Yeah, I, I, I'd like to debate you that on a, on a future show where we can have some clips available and analyze that. Let, let's do that as one of our off-season shows. Yeah, uh, he did six Super. Well, this is an off-season so, a show, but he did Super Bowl true. six but and Super Bowl eight. <laughs> We wouldn't prepare for that, but yeah, you're right. So interestingly, Super Bowl four was with Jack Buck and Pat. Jack was the play-by-play oh. guy. Oh, I like Jack Buck. Jack Buck did baseball really well. Oh, I love this voice. You know what? Yeah. You know, Joe Buck isn't that big of an asshole. He is an asshole. <laughs> anyway, um, give us another game before you cut out of here. I wanted to tell you, and I know Tuchel's like, God damn, do I get to talk? I'm sorry, man. Uh, but you, you've got. You'll be getting rid of me in a second, so you have lots of my time. I'm good. You're good, Danny. I'd like to hear his thoughts, too, though. I want to stay a couple minutes later so I can listen to him. But uh, just a couple of games I thought that were dreadful. Maybe you all would see them differently, but the couple of Super Bowls, I just thought, God, these are some of the worst games I've ever seen. Uh, I start out with, the from a couple of years ago, that Rams-Patriots game, uh, Super Bowl 53, just awful. The uh, Ravens and Giants. Super Bowl 35, fucking terrible. I think the finals 35-7, the Giants only scored on a kickoff return. And then as soon as they did, the Ravens returned their kickoff for a touchdown. 
Um, and Ray Lewis who got MVP for having like, you know, two tackles and just his name being Ray Lewis. Um, cause the fans got to vote that year, which is just complete and utter bullshit. Um, What's Denver Super Bowl 22. Just so boring, man. It's like, it starts out 10 to nothing. I want Elway to win because Washington beat us. And I get the historic sense of it because Doug Williams is the first black quarterback. Nuts not lost on me, but at seven it was because I just wanted the team that beat my team to get their asses kicked. And when it's 10 to nothing and like, you know, you haven't even had time to open your beer yet. <laughs> and the rest of the game is, you know, Washington scores 35 in the second quarter. And then the second half is just listless and dead ends up being 42, 10, just an awful game. And then Broncos, the Broncos 49er game, 24 awful. I, I guess you were going for San Francisco, but I was going for Denver. It was 55, 10 horrible. I was rooting for Broncos again. And I'll give you one more that, 27 in Pasadena, Michael Jackson. It's the last game I watched with my dad before he died. It was Super Bowl 27, 52-17, Dallas. <laughs> yeah, there was a string of Super Bowl games there where you yeah. where you thought this is this whole Super Bowl thing isn't working, man. It's like the conference championship games were always much more entertaining to watch. You get to the Super Bowl and you expect this great clash of conference champions, and it just never happened. And then finally, around the turn of the century, is when all of a sudden we started to get some really good games, and and it happened year after year after year, and, it, and the tide changed. Yep. Um, it was so bad. It, it was so bad that people would just be like, uh, do we want to watch the Super Bowl? It's just gonna be another blowout. I remember, I remember that being tossed around at that time. You know, it's just gonna be yep. another blowout, right? You know, right. Toot, you got a, a Super Bowl game that you'd like to share with us so that uh, Dan can uh, comment on it? Yeah, I mean the 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 Buffalo. You know, where they came all the way back and they missed uh, the field goal. You know, that stands out in my memory. You know, it was just being uh, it left such an impression on me that it could come down to that and then just, uh, you know, so much uh, uh, agony of defeat. If you, you know, to, It's to like Shakespeare. Yeah, yeah, it really exactly. is. And well I, I think the Giants were a wild card that year, you know, and the Bills were like... No, no, no. They they were, were the, the second seed. Okay, all right. The uh, the Bills were like 15-1 and one that year or 14-2 and two or something. Yeah, they're the number uh, one seed in the AFC. They beat the Raiders yeah. in the title game like 51-3. And yeah. the Giants beat us in the first, the second round, their first playoff game. And then they go and upset San Francisco at Candlestick, which again, you would have thought I would have been like, fuck it, I'm going for, Buff-. if I'd have known now, I would have been going for Buffalo. And the fact that the Giants beat us, you would have thought, oh, I'd be going for the Buffalo. But I hated San Francisco so much. <laughs> Again, I watched this with my, my dad. My dad hated Joe Montana and those 49er teams too. When when Matt Barr made that field goal to knock them out of the fucking going to three straight Super Bowls, it was so like it was just a foregone conclusion that the 49ers are going. Mm-hmm. And when the Giants upset them, he goes, God damn it. Like we're going to the video store. We're going to rent as many movies as you want. You don't have to go to school tomorrow. We were both so happy I love it. that the Giants nice, beat nice. San Francisco. And again, so in the Super Bowl, I was going for the Giants, and I shouldn't have. Uh, my boss, who owns this cluster of stations, was at the game. I didn't know him, obviously, then, but like he can prove it that he was there. He's got the ticket and stuff still. 
So, I mean, just the fact he was there with like Whitney Houston and the best national anthem ever and the country's so united because we're at war and like war was like now we're about to go to another fucking war. Thank you, uh, uh, Putin. But, um, you know, it's just like the war was like a big deal then, you know, it wasn't like we were always at war. We hadn't been at war since Vietnam, you know. Vietnam's kind of like our Buster Douglas, you know, you're not really invincible America, but, um, <laughs> we, we got up off the mat though. And there we are. We're so united as a country, mm-hmm. George Bush's approval rating is like 92% or something that year. Yeah. And the country's so united and so much red, white, and blue and Whitney Houston. It's just perfect. Like I wanted the bears there so much. And then, you know, the, the Buffalo, they, they drive down the field, like Tooch said, and, it's 19 to 17. And by this time of the game, Buffalo's or the Giants' whole defensive scheme, but with Belichick, is to basically rush two. And they've got nine back. And like Andre Reed caught six passes, I think, in the first quarter and was blanketed the rest of the game and said he had never been hit so hard. And just the whole thing was to hit their receivers. And that's it befuddled Buffalo. So by this time, they, they can't throw it, they can't run it. And it's just all Jim Kelly running down the field, a slow white guy running down the field or Thurman Thomas. And yes, somehow they get in field goal range and everyone on the sidelines is holding hands, the whole team. Mm-hmm. Everyone's together. I mean, even the fucking ball boy, everyone's holding hands, grown men, the whole town, the whole, everything is together for this kick. And they all love the kicker, Scott Norwood. He's popular. He's a great dude. And he misses. It's just, it's a tragedy, man. It's a Greek tragedy. It truly is. It, like I said, yeah. it, it, they had a thing in Buffalo after the game where the team came back from Tampa and he was ashamed. Scott Norwood didn't even want to show his face. Mm-hmm. And I know if, well, the way we acted toward Cody Parkey, which I think was warranted by the way, but uh, we would have been like, kill him, kill him. But uh, the Buffalo fans are cheering for him to the point where they bring him out on stage and they all give him a standing ovation. And he cries because he wanted to kick it. He wanted it so much and he's sorry he fucked up and, you know, and, but that's how classy their fans were, man. And, and they deserved it. They fucking deserved it. They should have won it. And, but if you go back and you watch that, Al Michaels or uh, maybe Frank Gilford, Frank Gifford, one of them tell you before the kick, oh man, Norwood is a lifetime like three of nine from this distance on grass. Mm-hmm. Like this is the part where he has struggled on a grass field from over 47, 48 yards. That's like the one area of his game where he had ho- a hole in it. And they asked yeah, him to yeah. do something that he's not good at. And, and if you go back to, Chris Berman in the pregame from ESPN uh, on uh, whatever their pregame was called back then. He's saying that it's interesting to him that that side of the field, and this was in the pregame, not in the postgame. In the pregame, he says, it's interesting to me watching Scott Norwood is hooking everything from, from this side of the field. Oh, wow. Yeah, and that's the side of the field he had to kick on. And Berman said it in the pregame. That is wild. Yeah, it's like the idea was he was – because he went wide right, mm-hmm. and he was hooking everything to the left in, in the pregame, I think. So he, like, tried to overcorrect it, you know, because he was going the other way. And he, it got in his head, and he missed the kick, man. It's mm-hmm. just 
It's it's yeah, so yeah. like if they'd have made that kick, who's to say they don't win two or three or four? Oh yeah, I I agree with you on that. You know, uh, a loss like that just has a echoing effect. You know, it just makes. You know, we, we've all anyone that's played sports know that when one thing bad happens to you, it can affect you. You know, consciously, subconsciously, whatever, um, for years to come. And so, I, I I keep recommending to people uh, this movie called Buffalo '66, where it is about a family, a dysfunctional family, and this guy's this guy's family. He goes ever over to his mom and dad's house every Sunday, and every Sunday after dinner, they pop on a VHS tape of that Super Bowl game where he misses that field goal or Norwood misses that field goal. But the thing is, is that they don't remember that this is an old game. They, they keep reliving that Super Bowl loss over and over and over again. They cry and they commiserate and they swear uh. and stuff. It's a bizarre movie. I forgot the name of the actor, but Christina Ricci, who you guys know, uh, yellow birds and so forth. Back in her youth, she's in the movie. She looks so fucking good in this movie. If you ever run into it, and I know Dan, you love watching these old movies. So Buffalo '66, I believe, is the title. It's a bizarre the film. Actor's oh, name is Vincent Gallo. Isn't there it? you go, yeah. to the rescue, Vincent. Oh, two Gallo. more, two more things before I go, please. please. Uh, with just give Scott Norwood some credit. The next year, AFC Championship game, Rich Stadium, they're expected to blow Denver out. Mm-hmm. And Elway gets hurt. It's actually Gary Kubiak against uh, Jim Kelly at the late stages of that game. But it, it's something like 10-10 or 10-7, whatever. It, it's tied late. And it, with basically no time in regulation, uh, comes down to Norwood and he makes it for them to go back to, to go to the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. So he overcome that kick in a certain sense. He did kick them into Super Bowl twenty six. But they go to 26, and then you got that fucking assistant coach mocking the Redskins and the Hogs and all that weird shit, and it just, like, inspired Washington. And and they were – Buffalo was much better than that Redskin team, but somehow, you know, Washington blows them out, and then Dallas trounce tr- – uh, uh, opens a fucking can, whatever cliche, you know, 52-17. And then five, but the one I want to mention, the last one, 28. People may forget, ah, oh, they already lost four games. Uh, fuck Buffalo. But the last Super Bowl that they were in, 28, they actually led 13-6 to in the third quarter, and they were about to score again. They were about to go up 20-6. to And you're talking about the defending champions now in Dallas. You're Buffalo. You ha- you've lost three games. If you score there and you're up two touchdowns in the third quarter, maybe you get your, fi- your win finally. But what happened? Thurman Thomas fumbled. It was picked up by James Washington. He ran it all the way back for a touchdown. They tied the game 13 all. Buffalo doesn't score another point, and they lose 30 to 13. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's 13 6 Buffalo. Think that in mind. They're about to score, and James Washington takes it all the way back to the house. They don't score another point. Man. I mean, just the fickle nature of momentum. Mm hmm. And sports, it's so unkind, mm-hmm. you know. And you can you can sense it, man. You watch that Buffalo game when things went all their way against Warren Moon, with the Oilers, mm-hmm. when they're down. Houston's up thirty-eight-three, I think. You just know it when you're watching the game, and like Frank Reich is playing, not even Jim Kelly. 
you can just feel it, man. They're going to come back. It just, it just like momentum. You just at home, you, you know, it's, it's happening. Mm -hmm. And Houston had to have known it too. And they couldn't stop it. It's just, it's amazing. And by that time they had Steve Christie as their field goal kicker. Good old Steve Christie. I remember the name. He was from Tampa initially. And he went to Buffalo and what they used to call plan B. Mm -hmm. That's the way free agency went uh, before all in all, like out and out free agency, which didn't start till 93, I think. Mm-hmm. You got so an incredible that's how we got memory. to keep Walter's whole career. They didn't really have free agency yet. Your memory just astounds. Holy shit, dude. Just I never oh. get anybody to talk about these games or anyone that gives a fuck, you know, or just cares, you know, at all. Last one, and I really got to go. And I know okay. it's a game you and I have talked about before. Mm-hmm. And, and again, San Diego ended up holding them off. But the Kellen Winslow game against Miami, you know, they have a 24 to nothing lead. And, you know, we were talking about Lovey earlier, bringing it full circle. Could you bench uh, Kyle Orton and put in, I'm sorry, bench Rex Grossman and put in Brian Greasy. Mm-hmm. Well, that's exactly what Shula did. He said, fuck it, we're, we're faltering. He takes Woodley out and brings in Don Strzok. And suddenly the 24 to nothing deficit is like a 30, 38, 31 Miami lead. And Kellen Winslow Sr. caught like 12 passes. He blocked an extra point. I think he blocked a field goal. And somehow, some way, both teams are missing kicks in overtime, almost goes to double overtime because the heat and uh, the humidity, and finally, uh, Rolf Bernerska makes the field goal to win San Diego 41 and uh, the Dolphins 38. But it was 24 nothing San Diego, or San Diego in the first quarter, mind you. Rolf Bernerska, get- who went on to host Wheel of Fortune for a couple of seasons, and the rumor was is that he was fucking Merv Griffin, the creator and executive producer of Wheel of Fortune, which which Wheel of Fortune, which is how he got the job. Did you know that then? I did not. I thought you were <laughs> going to say he fucked Vanna. I was going to like, wow, okay. No, no I, I didn't know he was. I did that, too. But he but, fucked but, Pat Sajak. <laughs> <laughs> but I did read that Pat Sajak had sex with Vanna White. Uh, they had a uh, relationship for several months, uh, which to me make kind of makes sense. They've been working together for what? 30 years and so i think i would think that during 30 years they would have had a little tryst you know but if i work for work with a lady 30 years and she doesn't let me hit it there's got to be something <laughs> wrong with me at some point man you gotta like have a couple of looks at each other right <laughs> that's what i told my wife and she has denied me sex since <laughs> 10 years well ago. unfortunately i have to leave this great conversation because i gotta get to my job and i've got to work there midnight to 4 p.m so all right well we really really uh love the fact that you were able to squeeze away from your other duties uh for this and uh we will be back here next week although you've got a game you have no game next week right Danny? no next week i can do a full fucking show thank god all righty well we'll be prepared with lots of good stuff for you dan uh and you and i will be texting each other and talking with each other during the week goodbye buddy all right, bye, too. Bye, Danny. Bye-bye. <laughs> All right, uh, Mr. Santu. That Buffalo, uh, Buffalo team, you know, to get, you know, how hard it is to get, let alone four Super Bowls, but they were in the playoffs constantly with Jim Kelly, Thurman Thomas, Andre Reid, uh, Bruce Smith, uh, you know, so many great – there are a lot of Hall of Famers on that team, man. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that, that, that was the Super Bowl that really – the drama was so intense – 
really in was that, in that one. It kind of uh, cemented uh, Super Bowl uh, as kind of like a, a, a you know a, a permanent fixture in American lives. You know, not that it wasn't already kind of, but it really became you know the, because the the possible drama of mm-hmm. uh, of games and 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 got audiences into hoping that next year's Super Bowl would have as much or more drama, you know, and, and I think people still look for that every year, you know, I mean, this, this past Super Bowl was great too. That was a great game, mm-hmm. you know, so really uh, was, I, yeah. I, 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 this past year I thought was maybe for me, one of my favorite Super Bowls because the strategy involved, I mean, there was so much happening in that game from a strategic standpoint, you can analyze it more so than, uh, man, you know, I, Every game has a lot of strategy, but this one I found it particularly compelling. Hey, uh, Tooch, let's take about a 70, 80 second break. I'll run a quick commercial. I'll run to the washroom, and then you and I will talk about whatever comes to mind and some of your betting tips and so forth. And uh, we'll do so in about a minute and a half. Uh, Listen to Greg uh, Gabriel talking about uh, the combine. So what exactly goes on at the NFL combine? I asked Greg Gabriel that question, and he said there's more than scouting going on. Everybody involved in the league is at the combine. So you got the coaches, the front office, you got your cap guy there. Um, your medical people are obviously there because of the combine, mm-hmm. but the you, your whole personnel staff is there. Every agent is there too. Theoretically, you know, you can't negotiate a contract with some of these free agents from other teams. Well, let me tell you, there's a lot of stuff being done down at Indy, you know, and, and, and you don't have to lock into certain figures, but, you know, you say, and I'll just use the name Joel Siegel because I know Joel. And Joel, if you're listening, I'm sorry, I'm not saying you do this. I'm just using your name. So, you, you, here's Kyle Fuller's agent. Okay. And, but, you know, he says, hey, Joel, you got this player. What's it going to cost? Well, I've talked to about four teams already. It's going to cost you at least $12 million a year. Mm-hmm. You know, so you're getting that type of stuff. Then you're going to, you know, does he want to come here? Do mm-hmm. we got a chance? And you can't talk to the guy because it's, you know, that would be tampering. Right. Right. So, but the agent can. Even though you're not supposed to be talking to the agent. All right, we are back. It's uh, Johnny Santucci and Aldo Gandia. That was Greg Gabriel, who will be with us. Our next show is Thursday around 11 o'clock. Uh, time is uh, uh, could fluctuate, but we're scheduled right now for 11 o'clock. And we're going to talk more combine stuff on that show. But if there's anything that you guys would like us to tackle, Greg Gabriel and myself, in future shows or even in this upcoming th- uh, Thursday show, let us know. Uh, he uh, definitely wants to respond to your questions, to what you want to hear us cover. And so Greg Gabriel uh, Talks Football is the name of the show. And some of our recent uh, shows are, if you haven't caught up with them, you really should because this guy is basically teaching us a master class on scouting and has uh, reputable sources on, on so many things. So uh, t- take a listen to some of those past shows either here on our YouTube channel or on audio podcasts. Um, let's see what Bear Truth has got. He's got, um, although Tooch, um, 
off my mind to get the best weapon. He's of the mind to get the best weapons available. Yeah, we need a wide receiver or three. But would you be against a wide receiver and a tight end if it is a better combination for the money than just getting two wide receivers? Let me tell you something, Mr. Bear Truth Nine. I would love to see an offense where we have that is primarily two tight end offense. Why? Because it's going to help the running game. Because we can then utilize the talents of David Montgomery and Khalil Herbert. And you can, if this, this second tight end is a good pass catching tight end and maybe even, but, but also has some blocking skills, then all of a sudden this offense becomes much more robust with what they can do as a rushing attack and a pass catching attack. So I don't have a problem with your idea at all. Running that 12 uh, offense is a way to win in the NFL nowadays. What do you think, Mr. Tooch? Yeah, I agree. I uh, I think uh, you know I, I I'm not I'm not so sure we have a tight end weapon. You, you don't know, like Coleman? He's okay. I mean, I I, I, I hate to compare uh, the Bears to Kansas City because you know they get them get that comparison. But if I were to say, uh, if if we could get a Travis Kelsey. I mean, Travis Kelsey. You, you saw it in the in the uh, the game, a game against the Bills. You know, he went he went like fifty yards for a touchdown in that game. You know, how great would it be to have a uh, a weapon like that uh, for Justin Fields? You know, so uh, I'm I'm with Bear Truth Nine. I I think you know uh, having the wide receiver and the tight end weapon is just as good as having multiple wide receiver weapons. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I am of the school that the tight end is a quarterback's best friend. And if you've got two tight ends who can get out there and Fields can uh, uh, dump the ball off while he is, if he can't find an open receiver downfield, and he can get it to a tight end who can power his way for, again, yards after the catch, which, which, which we talked about earlier in the show, I think that's a brilliant way of going about it. You know, the, the, the team that most comes to mind was uh, – Aaron Hernandez, pre-prison time, pre-suicide time, and Rob Gronkowski. What an offense Brady had there with those two running backs. And, and so if you can replicate that by picking up a tight end. Now, I haven't looked at uh, the tight end free agency list lately. You're so reading really my mind know. there with that Patriots <laughs> yeah. comparison because they're, they're trying to do it again up there with uh, Hunter Henry and Jonu Smith. You mm-hmm. know, they know – the the success you can have with an offense like that. So, I mean, yeah, I I was going to bring that up too, uh, right there with you on the same page. Well, and I look quickly, there are some really intriguing names uh, for free agent tight ends. There's Dalton Schultz, a 25 year old who just has come off a 78 catch, 800 yard, eight touchdown season for the Dallas Cowboys. I would be surprised that the, if the Cowboys let Schultz go, but they've got some salary cap issues. Zach Ertz is 31 years old, you know, a little, you know, maybe a little too old in the tooth, uh, whatever the expression is. But boy, if you can get him at, at a deal, you know, Zach Ertz would be fabulous. Mike Gusecki, the 26 year old from the Miami Dolphins. I doubt that he'll be available, but you never know. Gronkowski is too old. Jared Cook is a little too old. He's still, both of those guys have a gas left on the tank, but I, I would invest in them. Evan Ingram, the 27-year-old, um, you know, maybe. Uh, David Njoku. 
Yeah, exactly. With Ingram, you just can't depend on him to play the majority of a 17-game regular season. But David Njoku, 25 years old, had 36 catches last season with the Browns, uh, 475 yards, four touchdowns. That's a guy who I would love to look at. Absolutely. And then Hayden Hurst, O.J. Howard, Mo Allen Cox, those are guys who have not played to expectations. But if you can get them on a one-year deal, you know, maybe that's the way to go. And I agree 100% with Cliff Victoria. Jesper Horstead needs to get at least 30 to 40 snaps a game. Please give him 30 to 40 snaps a game, and I promise you he will give you six to nine touchdowns in the season. The guy is just scores touchdowns. <laughs> what was the Chris Carter thing? The buddy Ryan complaining about the Chris Carter. That's all he does is score touchdowns. There you go, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't get why Nagy never used him. You know, I just – I don't get it either. You know, the players Bears we could have looked at. Yeah, the Bears media made this big hullabaloo about the signing when they brought him in. You made the team, Jesper, you know, isn't this great? They sent out this video and stuff. And, and then, you know, he caught a, a touchdown pass in, in the first or second game of the season, and that was it. <laughs> Never heard from him since. But uh, um, uh, David Najoku, uh, Bear Truth 9, says he's been on his radar, so he would be good. I, I'm all for a two-tight end system. I think you can win in today's NFL uh, with that. So, um, I wanted to, uh, before we talk about uh, movies and betting and stuff, Tooch, I wanted to get your impression and the impression of others in the chat room, especially Chubbs, who has been a big detractor of Sam Mustafer uh, in weeks past. And and he had good reason to be. But the the fact of the matter is, um, lose that Mo Beerman uh, graphic there for a second, and let me pull this up. Uh, Tooch, this is the win rates at center uh, in the NFL as compiled by ESPN's uh, uh, stats department. You see right there in the middle of this graphic, it's a very small type, but uh, right at the middle, right at that center X is the name Sam Mustafer, which means that as far as centers go and as far as, far as run games run uh, running uh, 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 plays and passing plays he's right in the middle of the NFL right in the middle guys like Bradley Bolzman you see him up at the upper top uh, in that right quadrant this guy is doing really good in the pass and run game so if you can sign Bradley Bolzman who is a free agent this year he would be an upgrade over Sam Mustafer. But at the same time, with the Bears having so many needs, that if you were forced to bring Sam Mustafer back and have him compete against, you know, somebody you draft at the center position or uh, a low-level uh, free agent pickup, it wouldn't, in my mind, be the end of the world, particularly if you factor in that Sam Mustafer is 24, 25 years old, and he's probably going to get better. You have to assume, you have to bank on some of the players you have on the roster are going to get better as they move into the prime years of football. I understand the reluctance to go another season with Sam Mustafer as your center. And I'm not saying you should sign him and just give him the job. you got to bring in some competition. But I do believe 
you know, you look at some of these other centers, Ryan Kelly, Ryan Jensen. Look at Ryan Jensen, who is a guy whose name I hear often as a replacement at center for Sam Mustafer. And this win rate that's been compiled again by ESPN, he wins less on running plays and pass plays than Sam Mustafer. So, and and by the way, this graphic um, was compiled in back in November, mid-November before the Thanksgiving game. So it could have changed by the end of the season. Um, but I, I, I do think that there that is some evidence that you can do worse than Sam Mustafer. I am here for the crucifixion, guys. Go at it. <laughs> My first thought is, is that a typo? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe they just they were like, is this well we forgot to put in Mustafer. Let's just throw him in there. Ah, right in the middle. <laughs> put him in right in the middle. We don't know if we might have the best chance of <laughs> That's funny, teach. <laughs> uh, yeah, I... uh, Jub says he's not a starter in the NFL. He doesn't have the strength. He gets beat by all of the top guys and almost every team has a top guy chubbs i'm not i can't argue with you yeah i can't argue but the thing about centers is that they always almost always get help from one of the guards now there are you know certain the defensive coordinators are going to call certain plays to put stress on that middle of the line and so the center will have to go one-on-one but there are ways – it's not the worst thing in the world to have an average NFL starter. And perhaps – and I'm not guaranteeing this, Chubbs or anyone else who is a Sam Mustafer detractor – perhaps he can get stronger so that he's not beat as often by some of the top guys. You're, but you're absolutely right. I can't argue with what you just said there. But I, I love what you said. We forgot. <laughs> we forgot what muscle. Right? Let's put him on the chart. Just put him in the middle. <laughs> we only got thirty-one centers on here. What the heck? Where's the thirty-second? Oh, muscle. Just stick him in the middle. Exactly. Bear truth nice is Daniel's the center. I like that idea, but it's a ten million dollar center. That's what you're going to pay for. Do you want to pay ten million dollars for a center? I think that there are some other options out there at that center position. Let me see. I, I had it actually. Um, you know, there's a guy named Austin Blythe who was the backup center at Kansas City. Ryan, if Ryan Poles really likes this guy, uh, he sort of has the same issues as Sam Mustafer in terms of the strength department. But as a zone blocker, he's outstanding. As a pass blocker, maybe not the best that guy that you can find. But if you want a a center who's going to cost you two million dollars a year as opposed to the ten million that. Uh, James Daniels is going to cost you a guy like uh, a, a, a guy like Austin. Uh, what is his name again? Austin Blythe uh, played at Iowa, by the way, a few years ago in college. Uh, so, you know, there's some decisions to be made there. I know how valuable the center position is, but first and foremost, you need a smart center. You need a smart one. And that's one thing you cannot argue is that Sam Mustafer is a very, very smart center. Uh, um, ESPN has basically forgot about the Bulls, but the Bulls, what are we talking about? They probably did forget about Sam Mustafer. Well done, Chubbs. <laughs> well done. And uh, there was another comment here. The factor says Whitehair had his best season as a center. Well, yeah, that's true. You know, he did have some bad snaps, though. Remember that, you know, that was kind of a concern uh, with him. 
but you know we could do worse than having Cody Whitehair at center. I, I I agree with that. So if you can find a, a, a the left guard and right guard, if you're going to sign, would you be happy, guys? And and Tuch, I'll ask you this: Would you be happy with Cody Whitehair at center, at right guard, James Daniels, and at left guard a free agent acquisition? Or let's look at it this way. Larry Borum has been talked about as potentially playing guard. We saw him play right tackle, and he was very impressive, a lot more impressive than than a lot of us thought that he was going to be as a rookie, a fifth-round rookie. But a lot of people are also saying his inside, his natural position is at guard. So what about Whitehair, Borum, and Daniels as the interior of the offensive line? What do you think about that, Mr. Santucci? I'm with you, man. I, I I like Borum as a tackle. You know, he really, I mean, he didn't let a, a lot of pressures. You know, he's strong and you know helps the run game out there at right tackle. But uh, I mean, I, I people say, like you said, he's better. They think he's he'll be better as a guard. Mm-hmm. You know, and and it, maybe if you did get uh, you know a, a free agent tackle out there, and there are some out there uh, this year, uh, some good free agents. Uh, or draft, I find something in the draft. Someone drops to us in the second round, a decent tackle prospect. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I said, guards are so easy to find in the draft. You can get great guards, you know, in the sixth round, you know, fifth round. Great guards in the sixth round? Come on. Yeah, yeah no, there's guys. No, sure. No, no, no. There's That is so fucking rare for you to find a great player of at any position in the sixth round. You know, I, had, I had this round. argument. Well, yeah. How many times that happened? Huh? Name me, name me one other great quarterback <laughs> in the sixth round. Come on. I had this argument with Kurt with, Warner was undrafted. Kurt Warner was undrafted. Yeah, but again, you know, we're talking about a needle and haystack. It happens. I, I, I find shit thrown around here that I haven't found in years. Oh, there the fuck it is. <laughs> but it's been years. I had this argument with uh, uh, Shane uh, uh, back in the old 100 Proof show, and he was, I can get you a, a good guard, a great guard in the third round. Look at the Philadelphia Eagles. They won the Super Bowl, and they had third, fourth, fifth rounders at the guard position. And my resp- this was when we were into the uh, 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 Quentin Nelson debate. And my oh, retort was, all right, Quentin Nelson is going to be in at the guard position. He's a plug-and-play guy, and he's going to give you excellent results from day run. Forever. Exactly. Those guys that he was pointing out, those guards for the Philadelphia Eagles, those guys were in their second, third year before they won starting jobs. Yeah. So you're, you're, you can't equate them. You can't equate that, you know. I agree. You can find some, you know, you can find some excellent players in in day three of the draft, but it's not like it's common, you know. It's, it's, well, I mean, I guess the point I'm trying to make is that uh, guards are not a, a high priority on draft boards. You know, they're not. You're absolutely but, right. You're absolutely right. You know, their people don't start looking for guards until the third, fourth round. You know. Yeah, not, that's been yeah. that's been the the protocol for lack of a better way of putting it in the NFL. Right. My contention now is that guards, the value of guards, and the slot cor- and the slot cornerback position yeah. are two positions from both sides of the ball that their value has increased. You can hide yeah. average 
offensive tackles, but you can't hide average or below average interior offensive linemen for long, and you can't hide a poor slot cornerback. You mean like Sam Mustafer? <laughs> That's right. No, you're right. You're right. You're kidding, but you're right. right. No, I, I, I would. Uh, I, I agree. You have to build from the offensive line. You know, you have to build the trenches first. And you know, losing losing Akeem Hicks and Bilal Nichols, that's not going to help. Yeah. Losing James Daniels, it's not going to help. But like I said, this uh, this uh, this season. And I, I, I alluded to this earlier that the next season uh, I was going to talk about a bear state of affairs. Do I, should I play the music? Yes, please. All right. Might yeah. as well. And I'm sorry, Dan's not here either. You know, he's uh, he's listening uh, as he drives to his he? job. Yes. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> That that is awesome. <laughs> so, fair state of affairs. A recently NFL futures uh, odds came out to win the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. and where where do you think the Bears are? Although, like, what kind of odds or you know, mm-hmm. top or bottom? Oh, I'm gonna guess they're mm-hmm. like in that a uh, little lower than the middle, two hundred and fifty to one, maybe. Yeah, they're uh, eight thousand plus <laughs> eight thousand, so eight hundred to one, so uh-huh. eighty uh-huh. to one. Sorry, basically. Okay, so uh, I'll lay uh, fifty bucks on that. Plus eight thousand uh, to win. Well, I, I wouldn't recommend laying any money down on the Bears next year to win the Super Bowl. No, <laughs> but uh, uh, there's some of the teams that they're they're actually even with the Giants. If that gives mm-hmm. you any indication of what the market is uh, telling us about where how the Bears will do next year, I'm probably getting roasted in the chat room for this. <laughs> oh, it's hey. it's starting. <laughs> I mean, so Foster covers like two million to one. Try <laughs> Foster. But no, the, uh, uh, if Don Burr's still in the chat room, the Lions are actually last at like 150 to 150,000 uh, odds plus 150,000. So I'm sure Don wow. Burr, I could I could tell Don Burr to maybe put some money down on the Lions and he'd probably do it. You know what? We got to uh, invite Don Burr on this show. I we should. You right. guys debate. Uh, go, he actually go. had really good comments tonight. I threw up three Don Burr comments and I was like, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> You know, but he had some good comments. I, you know, I actually starred one here. Here's one. Uh, he said, so if the Bears keep all these guys, it doesn't work out. Polls based basically wasted a rebuild year, which is kind of what Aldo and I have been saying. We wasted a lot of rebuild years. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, yeah, that's a great it's, point. It's, right. You know, uh, some of the other ones I starred here uh, from Tony Moy. If I were polls, I signed younger players from free agency and from the draft, maybe one-year contracts to fill the roster so you can get through this development year. I, I kind of agree with this, but, I mean, I don't know about one-year contracts. I mean, you could sign some of these younger players into three-year you know, year contracts just in case they develop four-year year contracts if you really believe in in the either the draft or free agent players. Mm-hmm. You know? And then uh, uh, here's another one I started, too. How about – Harold Landry, you know, when uh, when the Bears were picking in the second round, Chachi and I were like, Harold Landry is still out there. Bears, get Harold, draft him. We drafted Anthony Miller. And I was like, oh, why the fuck? We could get a receiver later, but Harold Landry's a pass rusher. All right. You know, and I got roasted by everybody because everyone was so happy that we got Anthony Miller, like Chachi and I, where we wanted Harold Landry. 
You know, well, and I saw a comment about Jarvis Landry at the wide receiver position position because he's right. still under contract with the Cleveland Browns, but he has no guaranteed dollars left. So he he might uh, he might be available somehow, some way. Would yeah, you maybe want to trade? But, uh... Yeah. So the, now, the problem that I have with Jarvis Landry, because he is good for 80, 90, 100 catches. He's that, you know, slot yeah. uh, receiver. He oh, can yeah. move the chains and so forth. But again, if you if you want if you're going to emulate the Packers' offense, uh, and as Gene Chamberlain over at Sports Illustrated said, you're going to need some big body wide receivers, and yep. uh, the Bears don't have any in, in the roster right now. Yep, they had uh, they had one, but uh, apparently he was sabotaged. It went down to 66 targets. Mm-hmm. But uh, yep. yeah, I mean. I mean, I don't know how good of a blocker Allen Robinson is. He didn't seem like uh, that good of a blocker. But uh, uh, in in the Packers' offense, their wide receivers they they block in the run game, man. They get after you. Got guys like like you mentioned, Allen Lazard and Marcus Valdez Scantling and Devontae mm-hmm. Adams. Those guys all block. You know, they get on the cornerbacks and safeties, and they stick on them. You know, yep. That's why uh, Aaron Jones has, has a lot of success. You know, in the run game. Right. Listen, you know, I, I said this months ago, and I know I, I changed my opinion like, you know, the fucking wind changes direction. But I, I'm always just throwing out ideas here. I, I'm not going to, with any great conviction, say you got to do this. Only on certain occasions, you know, certain obvious things. But what, one thing that polls should consider in doing is just trying to spend as many resources as possible to help Justin Fields be the absolute best quarterback in the National Football League. Because we all know if you have a great quarterback, if you have a Tom Brady, if you have a Drew Brees, if you have name the name of the great quarterbacks, you're going to be competing every year for a Super Bowl championship. And so do whatever you can to build the absolute best offensive line and the and, and and the best offensive weapons available. Provide those for this young man, and then start to think about rebuilding this defense. If you're stuck with Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn this year because you know uh, of the dead money involved in, in 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 trading them or even releasing them, not that they would should consider that. But if you're if you've got those guys, at least you know that you're gonna have a pass rush. You're gonna have a fucking pass rush, and then you hopefully you get lucky with some other defenders, you know, uh, in the defense. But if you if you replenish, if you solidify, if you strengthen this offense for Justin Fields, and he's able to average twenty four to thirty two points a game going to be in a lot of fucking games and you're going to have a great quarterback for many many years and that means at least a very good football team so something to consider chubb says the bears are not trying to hide the fact that they are going to fix the offensive line i mean they have criticized them openly you are a hundred percent right chubbs you know <laughs> ryan polls I, I forgot where it was whether it was a press conference you or an didn't interview. see the nasty right yeah, is that what he said something like that didn't see the nasty that was exactly it. Yes. And uh, and you need an offensive line with some nasty. You know, remember uh what was his name? Um oh fuck. I forgot the, the, the name of the offensive lineman back in our day, uh to, to who would eat glass. Conrad Dobler. Remember Conrad, Conrad Dobler? Dobler? Yeah, 
he would eat glass <laughs> before game, just so he could get the feeling of pain and going out there and stuff. He'd be playing with bloody mouth and stuff. We need guys like that. We need guys who are going to drive the defenders down into the ground and just bury them. And when they try to get up again, you fucking hit them again. Um, that's what you need. You, you need that on offense and, and defense at when, when we're talking about the line of scrimmage. So um, I, I'm, I'm with you there. Cliff says Bears will be in much better shape next year after we start to get past the pace years. I don't mind the rebuild year if it means uh, competi- that the team is competitive in 2023. And I'm with you there, Cliff. I'm totally with you. You know, I don't um, think we have a choice, really, to be honest. Next, you know. Well, as I said at the start of the show, you can you can try to take the Rams approach and try to build a winner for 2022, but you're going to end up paying the piper in 2023, 2024, when all of a yeah. sudden your aging stars like Mac and Quinn are – you know, are gone or, you know, just playing past their prime and you're, you're now stuck with rebuilding again. So it's, it's a tough decision. I don't, I don't envy Ryan Pose the, the challenge that he has, the mess that Ryan Pace left them. It's enormous, man. It really is. Yeah. Uh, let's, Retro. Let's hope he, does his, he does his job and, you know, finds us those gems, you know, mm-hmm. in free agency and in the draft. That's what we, that's what we have to hope for this season. I mean, uh, we could get by on uh, Mac and, and Quinn rushing the passer again. We'll still have, uh, if we re-sign Roquan Smith, we'll still have a decent. Uh, by all accounts, Roquan Smith will move, will move to outside linebacker. And then maybe they'll give uh, Joel E.A. Booneyway a, a shot. Didn't he say something like, they never gave me a shot to play? Uh, you know, I was only special teams. I was it. never got a chance to even try to play on the defense. Yeah. You know? uh, I, you know, I, I, I like Joel. He's been on uh, the bar room a few times, a couple times. And, um, you know, he's, he's got a great personality. He's, he's, he's the type of guy who does a lot of work for the community and so forth. He is a valued special teams player. Um, but I do have to tell you the few times that I saw him out in the field playing in the linebacker position, he didn't do anything to stand out. And in fact, uh, there were just certain plays where he looked, like he just wasn't playing at a high level. So um, I'm being very diplomatic as I put that, but uh, I, you know, if, if that's true, then I, if it's true that he didn't play well because Nagy just never gave him the opportunity for that, then I hope that the bears recognize that. And I hope he gets this opportunity. I would love to see him, you know, play that inside linebacker along with Roquan Smith and whoever the strong side linebacker will be. You know, that's another big thing with this Chicago Bears team. Who are the linebackers? The only two people you got signed for next year are Danny Trevathan, who you know they're going to release, and, of course, Roquan Smith, who you have to sign for a long, to a long-term contract. So that's another Ryan Poles uh, challenge that he has ahead of him. Ugh, I feel sorry yeah, for we're, we're thin at, at linebacker, you know. Mm-hmm. We, we were thin before last season. We had to go and get, bring Christian Jones back. Exactly. Right. I like Alec Ogletree. I like what I saw from him. The guy's a pretty good ball player. I, I don't know how I think he's a little up there, but in, in years been in the league a while. But hey, a veteran, you know, he's a veteran leader. You know, right. we, we that's what we, we signed Danny Trevathan for was veteran leadership. If we're letting him go, you know, I mean, we could do a lot worse than Ogletree. I, I hear you. I mean, Alec Ogletree at the middle linebacker position, we know he can play that position. He did it with the Rams. He played it at a high level. Um, Roquan 
at that weak outside linebacker position. And now you've got to get a strong inside linebacker and you got to get some depth. Um, uh, Jeremy Atoshu is signed too, says PJ. You're absolutely right. So it's going to be, I don't know where Atoshu fits in a uh, 4-3 defense. Um, But again, you know, that's just the base defense. You're going to be in um, lots of different coverages and so forth. So, Oh my gosh, there's such an assessment. Uh, uh, yeah, Cliff, you're absolutely right. Ogletree over Trevathan easily. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, it's the other way around. Trevathan is not, Ogletree is not. So that's, that's. Uh, uh, yeah, and Chubbs says there are a couple of good inside linebackers in the draft. Yeah, Chubbs, and those will be gone by the time you pick 39. Or if they're available, yeah, you got other needs. You got a wide receiver need. You got an offensive lineman need. Uh, so that's that's the tricky part with what's going on with having the draft evaluate. Would you guys be okay? Uh, I think we talked about this last week. Would you be okay if the Bears traded away the 39th pick of the second round? That's their first pick in the draft. It's the 39th pick of the second round. Would you be okay if they traded that pick to acquire a couple of more picks later in the round uh, or later in the draft? So, you know, you pick up a late second rounder, you pick up a, a third or fourth rounder in exchange for number 39 overall. You need bodies, um, so would you be okay with that, or, or or you do you value that 39th pick so much that you want to hold on to it? Well, I'll tell you, uh, it depends on who's there, obviously. But if let's just assume that hey, there's multiple players that uh, they like, you know, they're okay with letting this pick go, you know, because they think uh, someone will, will be there uh, after they trade their pick away. At least one of the guys they have in their uh, you know, uh, board. Uh, but uh, this is this is another uh, reason why I dislike Ryan Pace. Is he left us with five draft picks? You know, for this season, uh, the salary cap. You know, isn't isn't in good shape. I mean, it, just the whole thing with Danny Trevathan and Alec Ogletree, like you said, we got the wrong guy under contract. You know, right. that's kind of like a lot of a lot of things. A lot of times, I I had the feeling that. Uh, Ryan Pace would be like, hey, you know, I really like you. You're a cool guy. Here's a great contract, Jimmy Graham. You know, <laughs> let me uh, sign you. You're my buddy, aren't you? You know, here, here's here's an extra uh, 10 million or something on your contract. Same thing with like Danny Trujillo. He had these like stupid contracts uh, out to uh, players that were, you know, probably uh, well past their prime, you know, mm-hmm. like Jimmy Graham and Danny Trevathan, for example, the two guys I made, but, you know, uh, and, and and I, I think that with as regards to the 39th pick, they don't. I mean, they probably don't have much of a choice. It, where it, if they get a decent offer, they're probably not going to turn it down, because uh, like you said, there are so many uh, holes in this roster. You know that they could. Uh, and I think the draft is deep enough, deep enough to bear it out. You know, there's some decent players that will be uh, second, third round. I think like it's kind of like. Uh, maybe top heavy at the top of the first round, and then like a lot of like late first round, second round talent stretching through into the third round this year. But uh, I, I think they're probably Ryan Poles is probably in a in a position where you know he says you know five picks just isn't enough where we're at, and I got to seriously look at trading some uh, of these picks to to get more ammunition. Mm-hmm. 
Jay Sanders is asking, why can't Roquan move to the uh, stay as the middle linebacker since he's been playing inside linebacker? And he wonders what is Roquan's natural position. I think at Ohio State they ran a three four two, and so he he played inside he, linebacker. He was so, Georgia. Uh, excuse me, uh, Georgia. I, I think they ran a three four there. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, anyone. Um, yeah, but they did. yeah, but so this is going to be new. Um, but the key thing here is is in this type of defense, it's the weak inside linebacker. It's, it, it's Darius Leonard with the Colts. He was the key guy. He was the number one guy with this defense because as the weak side linebacker, that means there's typically nobody in front of you. You're, you're away from the tight end, so you're the tight end can't block you and you don't have to guard the tight end you can fucking freelance you don't want you're not going to really freelance but you you have the opportunity to make big plays that weak inside linebacker if he's a stud like Roquan Smith you should target him for five interceptions five forced fumbles and at least five, seven sacks. Yep. I mean, and those are beautiful fucking numbers for a defensive player. Those are, and th- that's what Darius Leonard was doing. And Darius Leonard has been uh, voted above Roquan Smith in awards, uh, uh, Pro Bowl and, and stuff like that. Roquan Smith is a better player than Darius Leonard, you know, not by much, but he is a better player. And so, now Roquan Smith moving to a, a defense that's really going to value his athletic skills and really utilize him as, as a key player on this defense. I think you'll see by the end of the season, which is why they should sign Roquan as quickly as possible, because I think that by the end of the season, uh, Roquan is going to be consi- – I mean, Pro Football Focus just came out with their top 101 players from the ni- 2021 NFL season. So I'm scrolling down looking for Roquan. Roquan is not on the fucking list. I mean, you you can blame uh, Pro Football Focus for being stupid with their gradings. They're worse than ESPN. They are. They are. But that. But th- that's also you saw that in the NFL Networks uh, last season in their top 100, where his peers didn't pick him in the top 100. That, that doesn't have anything to do with the fact that you know, Roquan is bad. It ha- just has to be that he's overlooked and he's not being utilized as well as he should to, yeah. to exploit his athletic skills. I mean, the guy is a stud. He's a fucking stud. And we need him in an offense that can utilize those skills to the, the advantage. Bear Truth 9 adds, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, Aldo, but you watch Quan. His height IQ may, his height IQ may be best in the middle. Yeah, his maybe. High, high IQ, I think he means. Okay. But- I, yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, but Eberflus's yeah, defense, you know, the uh, like you said, the key position is the will linebacker. You know, this is the Lance Briggs position. I think Greg Gabriel actually talked about this with you on mm-hmm. his show maybe a couple weeks ago. I he think did. A couple, he did. A couple weeks ago, Greg Gabriel <laughs> said that that's what Roquan is destined for that spot in Eberflus's defense. You know, mm-hmm. he's going to be playing the will. He's he'll he'll fit fine there. And uh, like you said, he's going to put numbers up there. And so I think if uh, if uh, if he does, we'll get a good chance to find out. You know, uh, a good comparison with Darius Leonard of uh, you know how they compare uh, mm-hmm. after this year. And uh, I think uh, they their best they better resign him before this year because if he has a monster year, it's going to be tough to resign him. You know, they have to really fork out the dough. Indeed. Um... 
just noticed something. Excuse me, my computer. All of a sudden, I'm on battery and not power. So, um, to, to sing a song. I got to check my. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I had a great night. I, I won every bet tonight. So, uh, uh, tonight, my top pick was Texas Tech. If you uh, followed me on Twitter, I gave out uh, Boise State, uh, I, I, uh, San, San Diego State under that hit. Um, and uh, a couple other top picks I had tonight were uh, um, Akron over uh, 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 Bowling Green, sorry, uh, and Kent State over Ball State. So, uh, also had uh, a St. Bonaventure over Rhode Island today. I hit every bet tonight, I was saying. It's like I, you I did? Swept, swept, swept my board, but I, like I said, I had to go in the office. So I was like, you know, it's one of those days where I just kind of uh, uh, liked a few uh, uh, plays, you know, and, uh, you know, they, they weren't like, you know, uh, hard plays to pick. They were easier plays, you know, I just kind of. Uh, didn't uh, put a lot of, uh, you know, effort. I, 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 I could been February. I've been trying to say, okay, we got to play some dogs because February conference play in college basketball. You've got to pick a lot of dogs today. I picked mostly favorites and favorites killed it tonight, man. So uh, it was a good night. Uh, I loved Texas tech tonight in a revenge game against Oklahoma. So if you're watching uh, people chat, we're probably like, this fucking sucks. Well, Hey, March madness is right around the corner, man. If you don't like, Watching the uh, NCAA tournament, I don't know what to tell you, man. It's like one of the best times of the year watching the watching kids play basketball. That they don't, they're not, uh, uh, they're not uh, million dollar athletes yet. You know, they're still, they're still trying to get to the NBA. They're still uh, maybe seniors and they're playing in their last season of basketball. This is where like basketball is really pure. You know, it's not like the NBA where it's kind of like more like theater. You know, it's, uh, it's more like wrestling. You know, uh, pro wrestling, but uh, love uh, college basketball. Um, and NFL and college basketball are probably the most fun to wager on. You know, after college, after NFL's over, you got college basketball, and after college basketball's over, there's not a lot. Baseball's on on strike; they're locked out. You know, wherever they're locked out right now, we don't know if the baseball season is going to start. And then you've got NBA, where you ne- you don't even know before game time who's going to be playing that night. You know, you could be, you could bet on uh, Milwaukee Bucks, and Jonas is gonna. He all of a sudden he's decided he's got to sit out, or you know, yeah. Um, mostly like uh, the the Nets had this issue, Brooklyn Nets and and the Lakers. You know, they just guys would just sit out, especially as you get close to the All Star break. They're like, okay, if I if I sit out these last few games, I'm gonna get a whole week of rest. Mm-hmm. You know, so then you can't uh, you can't really uh, bet on the NBA. So it's just. Uh, it's a difficult time, but right now, college basketball, man, it's it's uh, it's been a blast. And I gotta say, uh, PJ says I can't see myself betting my hard in money. I would be pissed if I, when I lose. And, and I hate and to lose, like, man. Yeah, everybody, everybody right? Hates to lose. Nobody, yeah. Nobody's gonna be happy when they lose. Yeah. But I, yeah. I will say this, you know, and I've never been a big sports better. I do it on occasion, like if I'm in Vegas. I'll spend an afternoon at the sports yeah. book. I went to Vegas during, I forgot what year, but uh, during March Madness. And me and my buddies, we just had so much fucking fun. And I didn't know what I was betting on uh, in terms, because I'm not a big college basketball aficionado. Yeah. But I bet a few bucks, you know, 
as all the time, you, you put 200 bucks in your pocket and you say, that's it. You know, if I lose dollar number 200, that's it. I'm going to go home a loser. And I, but if you can be self-disciplined for that. So with yeah. uh, the, the betting that I do nowadays, I put $200 in, um, uh, my wife gave me permission <laughs> and, uh, and, and I got up to 1200 bucks. I won a thousand bucks. And she goes, Holy nice. shit, take that money out. And I go, no, no, I'm going to leave it in there in case I see like a sure thing. I'll bet 500 bucks or something like that. And she goes, Oh, you're crazy. Well, she was fucking right. I'm down to $147. <laughs> yeah, it happens. Yeah. You so, know. you know, I, the, the key thing is to put Discipline. a budget, yeah, and be disciplined about it. Don't let temptation get the better yeah. part of you. Uh, and, and it makes watching certain games a, a little bit more fun. Oh, now, yeah. Tooch will send me a, hey, sure things here. Uh, uh, Tolson State versus yeah. um, Chattanooga Central. And I'm like, what the, what the fuck? Are, are these on TV and yeah, stuff? Yeah, my, my two best bets. I, mean, I, I, I The best bets I gave out on Twitter, I, I've, I've won my like last five. So just if the free pick, you know, uh, if you, if you retweet my free pick play, I'll send it to you by direct message. And uh, uh, I have uh, uh, a little winning streak going right now. I had, man, my sure thing last night was New Mexico State. I was mm-hmm. so I was so confident on that. Put ten units, you know, whether your unit is five bucks or ten bucks, or some people's units are hundred bucks. You know, they're higher rollers. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was really confident in that game last night. Tonight. Same thing with Texas Tech, you know, 10-unit plays. So my past two nights, I've hit 10-unit plays. And, cool. uh, man, I, 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 tonight I won 500 bucks. Just one nice. night. Good one night. So uh, a pretty good night so far. Like I said, if you watch our show, when Anthony is like, you got to ask Aldo, we want to bring Maximum Edge to the Barroom bar Network, you know, because uh, Anthony's he's a big Bears fan too. Yeah, you'll have to have we'll have to have Anthony come by and visit. Uh, yeah, he's from she's a Chicago guy, uh, a professional handicapper. He quit his job at FedEx, mm-hmm. and uh, he's been doing it for 17 years. He's got clients, you know. And with college basketball, you know, I basically I I run numbers through my spreadsheet, help him out. You know, uh, he's like, "What games are you looking at?" We we collaborate on on college basketball every day. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to get through this. We got about a month left of college basketball, because in my opinion, college basketball is uh, where you can make the most money uh, gambling on uh, sports. NFL's really tough, man, because the, the lines are so sharp. Uh, college basketball, there's so many games, there's so many colleges. A lot of times you'll find, hey, the odds makers have made a mistake, and you, know, you can find uh, find that edge. You know, like yeah. A good example tonight was like everybody was on Michigan State plus six. Iowa blew them out. You know, I, I liked Iowa. I didn't bet that game because, you know, sometimes you're, uh, you know, you don't have to bet every game. You know, uh, I like to just pick, you know, three games maybe and bet three games, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and, and those are, you know, the top three plays. But uh, uh, tonight uh, was a good night for uh, Anthony tonight all around. And uh, Retro had the request. Yeah. Did Tooch just say collaborate? <laughs> yeah. I, you know, cappers collaborate all the time. I actually, uh, I have, uh, uh, I'm in a little group of handicappers. I'm not really the handicapper. I'm more of a podcast, but I do have clients who subscribe to my picks every day. 
and uh, uh, Anthony is more of the handicapper than myself, the one I do the show with. And we had uh, we've had some great college basketball guests on re- recently. We had uh, a couple guys from a show called Three Man Weave. They're young guys. They're uh, former college basketball players, mm-hmm. and they know there's they know every player. They know every coach. They know who's injured. Uh, they know every school. And uh, they give out great advice. The show's on noon every day on YouTube. And I usually don't, I, I don't miss it. Uh, I, I watch it, watch their show probably every day. And uh, they give out the best information for, uh, for college basketball. I mean, you can't, you can't miss it if you're, uh, if you're going to wager on some college basketball. But uh, Anthony is, uh, you know, he's a longtime Bears fan, loves the Bears. Uh, so me and him get along real well. You know, we talk Bears all the time. Uh, we talked bears a lot when, uh, yeah, it was a mo love the NCAA. Lots of fun games. So uh, NBA is, uh, is blah. Yes. Yeah, it really so, is. The NBA yeah. needs a lot of fixing, yeah. man. It really yeah. does. I, it, 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 you know, it's beautiful because you got the best athletes there. Arguably yeah. you got the best athletes when, when it's, when, when, there are certain games that you watch in the NBA level and you say, Holy fuck, this is just extraordinary athleticism. I love yeah. it. But there are just some problems going on, some rule changes that need to happen. They need to look at the three point uh, lane. They need to look at the three point shot. The yeah. three second, the, 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 the lane, you know, is, is I'm of the opinion that they should adapt the lane as it is in international basketball games. And I'm of the opinion that the three point line should move, be moved further back. Um, and I'm also, I would also love them to consider widening the basketball court because players have become so big right now. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've gone to NBA games and, and sat three or four rows up and it just looks like a, like fucking traffic hour in, in Chicago. And you got these incredible athletes and they have no room to move around. And I, th- I think it's, it, you, we would see a prettier game if the court was a little wider. Well, I'm not saying a lot, just go into a row or two of those expensive seats. But, but I just I just would love for the NBA to start entertaining some rule changes. And then this whole load management thing, as you said, uh, John, that's just bad for sports. I'm not saying that we should, you know, I'm not saying that we should run these athletes to the ground and kill them. Absolutely not. You know, maybe the res- the, 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 the answer is, is to do a 64 game season and expanded playoffs or something like that. I think all of these seasons are getting too long and we're seeing poor and poor quality of pay because of the money. And yeah. that's not right. We should do whatever possible to ensure that these athletes have the best accommodations, the best rules, the best everything so that they can really flourish and we can see some outstanding athleticism at its fucking best. I hate the fact that the NBA is just driven by profit. The NFL is driven by profit. MLB is driven by profit. Sometimes you can get better without it all being about the money. It just uh, really pisses me off. Yeah, that's why I love college basketball. It's pure. It's not about the money. You know, it's about the kids. It's about, right. uh, you, you know, the, the 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 coaches and them, they're drawing up plays and the rule, you know, the rules, uh, the, the rules are, are forced more, you know, the, uh, they'll call traveling NBA. They're not going to let guys take an extra step. 
Okay, it's a joke, yeah. man. Yeah. And then we had, you know, these uh proof that there was an NBA ref who was cheating for yeah, purposes. Exactly. That's been so underplayed. Uh yeah. there's that should be a bigger because I wouldn't I would not be surprised if that was happening again in the NBA and it was just being and, and that it's happened multiple times in the NBA and it's been squashed. Um you know, reminds me of remember that uh, McDonald's documentary that was on HBO. I, I remember yeah. you talking about it on your show. What was that called? McMillions. Right. Uh, yeah, McMillions. McMillions. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and that was I was working there at the time, and yeah. and you know I was part of the community. They were stealing the winning tickets, right? That's the right. winning uh, pieces, game pieces. That's right. The company <laughs> that was in charge of security, the the whole. Uh, monopoly thing was outsourced to a different yep. company, but the company that was hired to handle the security on that stuff, the guy who was stealing the million dollar tap yeah. and selling them to other people so that they were claiming the million dollars. Yeah. And, and so I remember being at McDonald's at the time and, and trying to figure out ways to squash the news. And I oh, believe Jesus. it was the, um, uh, there was some big news story that squashed everything. All of a sudden, it wasn't a front page story anymore because we invaded Iraq or some shit. And uh, everybody at McDonald's was like, sigh of relief. And and, it, and and people slowly forgot about it. So, uh, <laughs> But I just want to bring this up before uh, uh, we get uh, final thoughts out of the way here. Yeah. It's an interesting argument about this whole Roquan Smith uh, playing the middle linebacker or will linebacker in the chat room. Yeah, and I yeah. just want to say you know, that I agree with the factor that if you want to nullify Roquan Smith, you put him in at the mic. That Even in, in college, uh, I remember when Georgia and Ohio State were playing in a national championship game, and I remember reading reports that if you want to nullify Roquan, you run right at him because you're going to have some bigger, much bigger guys at him knocking them over and you're going to be able to run the ball and pick up positive yards doing that. It was the same argument they had with Brian Erlacher when he played middle linebacker and it took him years to be able to, uh, you know, that's why as Greg Gabriel says, we got big ass defensive tackles to clear it away for our lack to make tackles yeah. because we knew if an offense, a big 300 pound offensive lineman was going to stick to Erlacher, he was done. And so that's the situation with Roquan. You want Roquan to be uninhibited so that he can run to the ball carrier without a big guy in his way, which is why. That's what he did he, at Georgia. That's what he did at Georgia, which is yeah. why he will be doing that for the Chicago Bears. That's, yeah, there's, no, there's no argument there. Uh, yeah. But I, I've been with one eye uh, catching some of the debate in the chat room. Yeah, no, and, I saw. I was watching it too. You know, uh, uh, he – like you said, Roquan is not a big guy. You know, he's what six oh. feet tall. Yeah, six know? one, I believe. Yeah, six one, two forty, maybe two thirty eight, something yeah. like that, two thirty five. But you know, that was the knock on him in college too, was that he he would you know sift through the traffic. You know, he wasn't going to take on blocks. You know, head on, he would rather you know avoid slip around the tack, uh, slip around the blockers and get to the tackle. Mm -hmm. But uh, that's what this moving him to will is going to allow him to, to play like that. Like he did in college. He's not going to have to take on blocks and stuff. Now, he did a fantastic job at middle linebacker because he's a damn good player. 
you know. But uh, mm-hmm. he's going to be even better, you know, in Eberflus's system as the will. I agree. I agree. Right now, to me, the best uh, conceivable line, uh, lineup at that linebacker position is having Alec Ogletree stay at that middle linebacker yep. position. He's got experience there. That's where he played with the Rams. He was drafted yep. to play that position. You get up. Uh, and you get Roquan over at the Will linebacker. Let me do a quick search here as to who are the top middle linebacker free agents available because I would hate to bring in a, a rookie to play that linebacker position, but maybe not. I mean, if it's a, if, if it's a great rookie, but here are, yeah, are yeah. some of the linebackers. Devondre Campbell, who's coming from a 3-4, but he could probably play that inside linebacker position uh, and – is very affordable at at a P, a PFF has him uh, with a nine million dollar average contract a year. Alexander Johnson, I frankly don't know much about him, uh, but he was at yeah, D- Denver, played a, a three four. Uh, for Yassi Alukan, I, I know I'm mispronouncing that. I apologize, but he it was with the with the uh, Falcons, but he played a lot of weak side linebacker and played middle linebacker. Maybe he's somebody to look at. He, he's estimated at making $10 million average for a year for $40 million. So there are some inside linebackers, Lighten Vanderish uh, from the Dallas Cowboys. You, we should keep an eye on him because he comes from the Rod Marinelli school, and we know that Eberflus comes from the Rod Marinelli school. So maybe he's a guy uh, to keep an eye on. He, I've seen his name mentioned in the chat room num- numerous times. Yeah. Um so, but there aren't a lot of free agent middle linebackers out there. Uh, Chubb says that the middle linebacker should be 250 pounds plus Roquan is more like 234. I agree with that, Chubbs. So, big, big, big item to watch over the next few weeks. And I'll talk to uh, Greg Gabriel about this on a Thursday when I meet with him at 11 a.m. Tooch, uh, anything else you want to chat about? Is there a movie that you've watched that you want to recommend to people or a TV series that you started? Um, because I've got one. I've got a uh, promising young woman. Have you heard of it with, um, oh, what's her name? Carrie Mulligan. She is such a cutie, man. Yeah, I don't know this one. Oh, you're going to like this one, Tooch. Do, do you like black comedies? Yeah. They- Making True. fun of you know really serious yeah. subjects. I love Don't Look Up, man. Yeah, that's a good one. It was really funny. Well, Promising Young Woman is a story about uh, Carrie Mulligan plays a woman who is trying to avenge the rape of her best friend from 10 years past. Mm. Um, uh, back in college, her best friend was raped, and the authorities and the college did nothing to investigate it because the rapists were of a privileged background. Was and so Bill Cosby? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, it could have been Bill Cosby, <laughs> but I don't think so. Um, and so she goes about getting redemption or revenge in a very unique way. She pretends to be totally fucked up at nightclubs allows herself to be picked up by guys and just before they're about to penetrate her she all of a sudden becomes very sober and shames uh, yeah, that person yeah. yeah this is good man yeah. this is fucking good 
And the ending in the movie, you know how I, I often will say, "Oh, it's a movie. It's not a series." No, no yeah, it's a movie. Okay, it's great. Not, yeah, good. Two hour movie. Yes. Yeah. The the ending, the third act of the movie. I often say third acts in, in the movie are generally aw- awful. You know, scriptwriters and directors, it's hard to come up with a great ending for a movie. This movie has a great fucking ending. Nice. So I highly recommend that. And by the way, I highly recommend um, this show that PJ just happened to talk about. He says, I watched Love is Blind. I like the thought behind the premise, but I didn't like that they didn't show all of the contestants during the process. PJ, you're absolutely right. Netflix is this is the second year that Love is Blind is playing on Netflix. Season one was outstanding. Social media went crazy about it because it happened during the pandemic. It's a dating show. And what happens is that women and men meet each other in pods. You can't see who you're talking to. So you develop an emotional connection. And the rules are that after 10 days, you ask that person to get married or not, and a lot of people choose to make that proposition of marriage. And then they see each other face to face, and then they run for. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta see that. It's wow. good. Much better uh, than Bachelor. Much, much better than that fucking bullshit Bachelor where they set up these contrived right, situations right. to create drama. This feels much, much more real. Oh, I gotta see uh, that. But PJ is right because they start with about 40 people and they only focus in on five or six of what they think are the most interesting stories. And it sort of does feel like, man, I would have liked to have seen what that cute looking chick with the big titties. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I did watch the Tinder Swindler, which uh, you talked about before, uh, right? The Tinder Swindler. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell yeah, me I about it. that. What did you think? Uh, that's great. Uh, and, and I watched Inventing Anna, which is kind of like the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and it stars Ruth from Ozark as the fake German heiress, you know, the, the meme, you know, based on the true story. Uh, and I really got hooked into that one. That was really good. Uh, uh, a series. It's like Tinder Swindler. Tinder Swindler was more kind of uh, documentary. And uh, uh, Inventing Anna was like a drama, you know, with characters and acted well and stuff, you know. And, uh, but it was based on a true story. And uh, I, I like both of them. I, I think uh, you'd really get a kick out of the one with Ruth from Ozark, though, although it's... Uh, I, I got to watch that. And it's I very love- good. I, I couldn't stop watching. I know my wife and I watch it in like two days. I think there's eight episodes. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, we enjoyed that that as well but i gotta see this love is blind now <laughs> i want to see yeah. what they look like trust tr- well and some of them are gorgeous and by the yeah, way okay. um some of them are not gorgeous though, huh? <laughs> <laughs> <True>. <laughs> um the, the there is a love is blind uh brazil version too uh which is very very difficult to watch because we're watching uh my wife and i for the first several episodes we watched the dubbed version uh so we wouldn't have to read uh uh uh, uh, subtitles and the people who did the voiceover dubs were just reading in a monotone way the the, the script so <laughs> I love you and I want to see you every day for the rest of my life oh I can't wait to be held in your arms. That's the way. And so finally we said fuck it let's give the subtitles a chance and now we're enjoying it more and I, I only bring it up because there is a woman in the uh, Love is Blind Brazilian edition who is a model 
who I told my wife, sweetheart, I'm sorry, but yeah. I got to choose between you and her. And she goes, I understand. She is beautiful. She is fucking <laughs> gorgeous. Oh, my God. Oh, I see this other, you know, Brazilian women are so shapely and, and gorgeous. Oh, yeah. and, and, and I want to ask you this question. Bear Truth 9. What have you learned from all your relationships, marriages, and what does it take besides the obvious to make a marriage work? I'll let you answer that too first, and because you you've had many relationships in your life, and then I'll yep. I'll offer an opinion to bear truth. What do you think? Right, well, I'm very happily married. My my, my wife and I are. Uh, I think uh, I could answer that by saying it's a uh, it's a team. You know, you have to uh, uh, work together, help each other, share uh, share the load. You know to to uh to say uh uh you know sharing all the work mm -hmm. you know equal uh help help wherever you can you know and uh remember that you're 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 a teammate you know of this person well you know, said and, and you uh you, you stick stick with them and you trust them to uh have your back and i think mm -hmm. that's what really makes uh at least my marriage at least work you know is that my wife and i you know we share the chores you know, uh, if something's she needs a little help with something, I'm right there. I don't. She doesn't need to ask me. You know, same thing. If I'm like struggling with something, she'll come by and give me a hand with whatever it is. You know, and I think uh, that for me, we share the cooking. You know, we share the shopping, uh, all the chores. And we, you know, we have two two kids together uh, that helps. And then uh, uh, you know, uh, just the support, support each other no matter what. That's well said, uh, Tooch, and I will uh, share this. Um, the secret to a good marriage is just don't get caught. All right, <laughs> we move on. Uh, <laughs> we move on. Uh, the Factor says that Making a Murder is a really good Netflix documentary series. It's about a real-life case of a guy who gets a whole town to go after him. They charge him for something, and he supposedly did not do it. I'm going to watch that, Factor, because you I made it sound good really good. You made it sound really yeah. good. All right. Uh, anything else you want to share before we pull the plug on this edition? Man, I'm trying to think that uh, I want to I want to look at because uh, I, I, I did a show today with uh, Sean Higgs from uh, Wager uh, Wager Talk and uh, uh, Picks and Parlay is another mm -hmm. handicapper, and he and I at the end and I gave out three picks. I think uh, three picks for tonight, and I think all three of them won. So I was like. Uh, Trying to go and check. I know we had the uh, the under in the Boise State San Diego State game. Uh, Sean gave out San Diego State plus two. That just barely won. And then uh, Anthony gave out another one too. Uh, goodness gracious, what was that one play? I'm trying to look as I check the scores. I just want to say while you're checking the scores, yeah. Um, uh, PJ uh, said that uh, I could talk about marriage and relationships for an hour. There's a lot of stuff involved in it. PJ, yeah. why don't you come on one of our uh, summer shows or spring shows and, and we'll we'll have like a forum on relationships. I know that, you know, you just heard Tooch talk about very eloquently about what makes a good marriage. Dan Aguirre has tons of thoughts and he has, you know, he's still frankly and I, I i know he won't mind me saying this because he's talked about it on this show but he still has scars from his previous marriage uh his Poor only man. marriage yeah and so uh you know we can talk about that upj and and we'll invite some other uh, uh of our followers here to to have an open discussion about marriage and it just we'll dedicate a whole show uh to just relationship building 
uh, because there's a time in the uh, year, there's about a four-week period right after OTAs and right before training camp. Well, we're desperate for material, man. <laughs> so let's talk about our wives. <laughs> yeah. and uh, She's going to kill me if she hears this. <laughs> yeah, I just want to say I'd love to uh, have uh, uh, barflies in the chat room when I'm doing the sports wagering show, you know, because we talk other stuff. We talk bears. If we're talking football with I will definitely get the opinion of the Bears of my guests. I have David Behrman from ESPN on every Wednesday night. Uh, he and I talk football and, and golf. And then, uh, uh, you know, I have the uh, college basketball guys. I have uh, other handicappers that uh, uh, I uh, work with as far as, like, collaborating or consensus picks, you know. And uh, we, we have a retweet club where we retweet each other every day. Oh, nice. So hey, Tooch, can I interrupt you a second? Do you find that golf is a good sport to bet on? Because I've won some nice money on golf, yeah. you know, picking players to be in the top 10. You usually get good odds on that. And yep. um, do, do you agree with that? I do agree with that. Yeah, I like golf. I like wagering on golf, especially for like top 10, you know, finishes and stuff. Uh, I do like uh, wagering on the golf. I never liked it. Before. I never watched much golf until I started wagering on it. But uh, yeah, and uh, David Bierman's really knowledgeable about uh, the golf, uh, who to pick for what, you know, top 10 finish, top five finish. So uh, uh, that he he's, uh, he's the main dude at ESPN for all that stuff, for golf and, and wagering. I also want to let, and I apologize that this is off track from what you're saying. Um, I want to let people know that if you want to contact me, the best way to do it is through Twitter. I check my Facebook account occasionally, and I'm not really thorough in it, so I've missed some important messages. I know PJ says that he just reached out to me recently, and I apologize that I did not get back to you. But I've been sort of, you know, I use Facebook for business purposes to promote the show, but in terms of uh, contact with friends and followers of the show and family and so forth, I started to to deviate away just because I don't like what Zuckerberg is doing with Facebook. They're stealing so much of our identity on That's Facebook, it. and I think Twitter is is not as terrible at it. Every Every you know app is trying to get information on you. There are, but the, there yeah. is there are certain troubling things about Facebook that I've learned over the years that makes it the worst of all the major apps out there. Agreed. So I, I I spend as little time as possible on Facebook. So my DMs are open both on my uh, Twitter account, uh, my personal Twitter account at Aldo Barkeeper and the business one at Barroom Network. So send me there. I'm trying to get uh, myself going on Instagram. And uh, so I promise to, by this spring, I'm going to have a robust Instagram. Uh, uh, but that's it. Instagram, Twitter, and a little bit of Facebook. After that, I don't want to fucking think about TikTok or Mojo or Wojo or whatever the fuck. Too many apps out there for me to worry about. I'd love to order, uh, hire, if I had the money, I'd, I'd hire a social media manager to manage all this shit that we've got going on, which would be, be helpful to, for the bar room. But me personally, I just can't keep track. I can't either, although I, it's too much. I can barely keep up with Twitter, you know, and I have to do a bunch. Of, I'd have to do a free play every day. Mm-hmm. And then I put out a promo like Anthony does these parlay challenges where if he doesn't win, you get a free week, mm-hmm. you know, or he does a chaff. I don't go three and oh, my best bets. You get a free week. You know, I, I, 
I tell you, it's hard for me to do stuff like he does. And, uh, you know, he picks up a lot of new clients that way uh, where, uh, you know, and, and sometimes when they buy the parlay card or they buy the card for the day, they win, you know, mm-hmm. so it's, they get their money's worth either way, Yeah, which is, which is good. But yeah, I, you uh, know, and there are people uh, younger than us uh, mostly who are very adept at operating between all of these social media challenges. Yeah. I, for me, I've always been, I don't carry my cell phone around all day long. I don't want to be interrupted. I, I, I want to, if I sit down to watch a movie, movie, I don't want to be, you know, text messaging and stuff. Yeah. If I sit down to have dinner with the family, I don't want to be, you know, on the phone and stuff. So that means I'm going to be away from my phone. There are some times where I can't fucking find my phone. I leave it down in the man cave. I left so mine at work today. I had to go back. I drove downtown and left. I'm like, where the fuck is my phone? Yeah. I, had to, I had to go back to the office. And that's yeah. the way I like it. I don't want the fucking phone excuse me, to be dictating, you know, my life. I, 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 I like to be left alone with my thoughts. I like to be left alone with my wife and my kids. Yep. Those things are much more important. I love cinema and movies. And so when I watch a movie, I don't want to be interrupted. I am one of those fucking snobs where if you're talking during the movie, out of here, <laughs> you little pixie. <laughs> What's the line in the, It's a Wonderful Life. The two of you out of here, you little pixies. <laughs> So that's the way I am. Anyway, um, yep. Uch, it's always fun being on with you. On yeah, this I should, I, I, I'm mad that I didn't send you my Texas Tech pick today, but I, you know, I, like I said, I had to go into the office and it was horrible because I'm oh. so used to working from home. I get down there, I'm like, where do I park? What do you know? Because we're gonna, I'm, we moved my office to another building. Mm-hmm. You know, not in the basement. And I don't have a red stapler, but uh, it's uh, you know, I I I, I got down there. I've discombobulated because I'm so used to working from my home office. You know, I go in there, I've got to do all this stuff, and I, you know, I forgot my phone, I forgot my a badge. You know, I had to go to the guardhouse, you know, and tell them, <laughs> you know, I just left today for the day, and I forgot my phone and my badge. Don't you hate that? Yeah. He's like, who are you? You know, I'm like, I'm showing my driver's license, and sign in, oh, and he's got to buzz me in into the other building, and then I walk over to the north building, <laughs> and then get back there, you know, grab my badge and my phone. So used to, you know, yeah. Old people problems, guys. Yeah, old people problems. Yep. <laughs> All right, let me. I, I wish I would have gotten that pick from you because I need a winner. Let me show you. Uh, you know, look at it says it, red is lost. Yeah, Oops. red is bad. Uh, yeah. So uh, there's one green one for win. That was last night. Yeah. Look at more reds, more reds. <laughs> Can yeah. I lose the streak? More reds, more reds. I, had, uh, I won every bet tonight, man. I was, this was probably the best I've had in a long time. Good for you. So. I, all right, so we will be back here next Tuesday. Look at this guy. Yeah, winner, yep. winner, winner, winner. Holy shit, man. It's been a while yeah. since I had that. So. Well, golf is coming back, and I'm going to uh, be playing closer, paying closer attention to college basketball, so hopefully I can get back over that $200 uh, investment yeah. that I made over at draft. Do you like basketball? I know he calls basketball games. I don't know if he likes Basketball. He loves basketball. Okay. Uh, he, he's not a big fan of the current NBA. Uh, yeah, neither am I. His favorite player, and he could talk for hours about Hakeem Olajuwon. Hakeem Abdul Olajuwon. Oh, yeah. yep. Who, by the way, I agree with him. Hakeem Olajuwon should be on everybody's top 10 players of all time. Absolutely. I don't get it that he is so often overlooked. This guy was a seven foot one center with point guard type skills. Oh, amazing. Like Giannis, you know? Mm-hmm. 
Jonas on the box is an amazing athlete right now, man. Jabari says, Aldo's an old man getting down on social media. Whatever happened to the go good old blind book? <laughs> <laughs> you ain't kidding, man. <laughs> that black book, by the way, I still own, and it's uh, back there. Yes, my wife hopefully is not watching. It's back there. It's hidden up by the Porto collection. <laughs> up in the out. underneath the ceiling tiles. Oh man, when I when we first moved into this house twelve years ago, I was looking for hiding places for my pot. For my yeah. <laughs> Where's the best place, man? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> We're gonna keep this away from the kids and yeah. my wife and stuff. Oh, you know, anyway, I did. Uh, I did. I did have one story. So uh, for this past weekend, it was sixty-eight degrees on Sunday. Yeah, nice. So uh, you know, I was like, no jacket. And my son, my son, like, I have a, I have an older son who's, you know, uh, he's in his mid twenties now, uh-huh. and uh, he loves going to the gun range and shooting. So me and him went to. The, I, I don't, I don't spend enough time with my son because I'm so fucking busy. Yeah. And he and I went there and we shot the assault rifle and the pistols and the shotgun. Nice. It was a beautiful. It's a beautiful range owned by the Iowa Department of Natural Resources. And they have these great like metal targets, and then you know you shoot them, and they go down, and you pull the rope, they stand back up and stuff. And I was like, I didn't do too bad. I'm not, I'm rusty as hell with the, you know, pistols. But the my son has a nice scope rifle, and he has a bolt action and everything. He's nice collecting them and stuff. You know, he spends mm-hmm. his money on guns. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, I go I had a fun time shooting the scope one because you could 100 yards, man. I was hitting. They have little uh, metal animals out there, like a fox and a pig and a deer, you know, and a turkey, and you shoot from 100 yards away. And I was hitting them, so it was fun. You know, the, the scope was nice. But, Sounds uh, awesome. How is something, so, but he's doing a lot better. He's working. Does he have a job? Yeah, he's got good. a job. He's happy oh. now. He's got money, so uh, he's out of his depression. Yeah, and, good and, for uh, him. Yeah. I have another close friend of mine, Dennis, who for years he was worried about his son. His son wasn't motivated. Yeah. He's just smoking pot, hanging out with yeah. his friends and That's stuff. My son. Yep. And then, you know, after a while, uh, his son realized what a lot of people who go through that stage is everybody else has a job. Everybody else is going to school. Everybody else has a girlfriend. Yeah. Everybody else needs money to take that girlfriend out. And then all of a sudden they say, you know what? I'm going to fucking get a job or I'm going to go to school. Or I'm going to yeah. get a girlfriend and stuff. And that's what happened with my buddy Dennis's uh, uh, son. And uh, things are going well for them now. And I hope the same for you, brother. Yeah, you know, I, I got to the point where I was telling my son, uh, you know, uh, he talked to me about, you know, I, I'm this and that. And I don't, you know, this is terrible. And I'm like, you know how much sympathy you get from me? Zero, because everybody has fucking problems, you know? Yep. So don't talk to me about it. Get your shit together, you mm-hmm. know. And and, and uh, he did, you know. He he's uh, goes to night school and he works during the day. So uh, awesome. Hour two. Yep. Good. Yeah, I had man. fun hanging out with my son. I haven't. Me and him haven't been had a chance. It's because I have toddlers and I have my an adult son. Mm-hmm. Now is, my, is he up there in Iowa with you? He's in Iowa. Yep. Okay. And uh, before he was like, I don't like it here, you know, because it's Iowa. You know, it's like it's not Chicago. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, plank and steel targets. That's right, totally. Yeah, I shot uh, shot uh, both you know small ammo and big ammo. And, you know, nice. Shot the shotgun. You know, my, I'm still sore from uh, from the kick on some of the rifles and stuff. But uh, wow. it's a lot of fun, man. Uh, I, you guys remember my you you guys you remember my story when I that I shared a hundred proof my experience with shooting a, a, a BB gun. No. <laughs> 
<laughs> did, did you have a BB gun when you were a kid? I did not. Uh, okay. But this was when I was in my mid-20s. I got a divorce from my uh, first wife. And so I needed a place to stay. And my buddy had an apartment uh, in his home. You know, he, he had a three-flat apartment. And then in the back, there, were, there was a smaller two-flat building. Um, and so I rented an apartment from him. And so one day he, he invites me over, Hey, you want to have dinner? And then afterwards we'll shoot rats. And I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are we shooting rats for the dinner? He goes, no, afterwards we'll shoot rats. Because unfortunately this was before Chicago had lids for their garbage cans. And so we had dinner, had a few beers, went out to the porch, me, uh, my buddy, Walter, and there's fucking rats coming out of everywhere. I'm thinking, where the fuck did I just move to? Oh, my yeah. God. And he hands me a BB gun. He goes, fire when ready. And yep. so I started seeing rats coming out, and I'm fucking firing six shots for every, every rat. Bop, 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 bop. And they were like, give me that. Give me that fucking gun. What's wrong with you? I go, these things are scary, man. These fucking rats are the size of a Volkswagen. And yeah. so I'm shooting these things like crazy. You know, they're basically inner city rats. When yeah, I first huge. Moved, yeah, they're well, like I, small cats. Exactly. Yeah. When I first People don't moved, know. The Chicago rats are big. They're, they're like huge. little cats. Man. They're huge. And yeah. I grew up, uh, I was born in Spanish Harlem in New York City, and they have pretty some fucking big rats there, too. Yeah. But when I came to Chicago, I was like, holy shit, these motherfuckers are bigger than New York rats. And so that's my one, uh, uh, I, yeah. I think that's the only time I fired anything resembling a gun other than, you know, being at the arcades and stuff. I've never been okay. a big gun guy. Come but... out here to visit me. We're going to go to that Puerto Rican restaurant. We'll go up to this beautiful gun range here. I mean, it's, it's right near the lake up, up, up uh, north here of where I live. And uh, mm -hmm. it's a lot of fun, man. I mean, uh, I'm looking forward to it already, brother. And, you know, the BB gun, too, it was me and my friends, too. Only it was a squirrel. I swear one time uh, one of my buddies was like, see that squirrel up in the tree? It's like, plink, you know, and the squirrel was like, I got him right in the chest. The squirrel grabbed the chest and he fell over just like a person. <laughs> like, I'll never forget. I think I was 18. You know? Shot him right through the heart like a stuntman. <laughs> Chubbs, you may be right. The rats are bigger in New York, uh, and there are a lot more. I, I will say this. You are absolutely right. There are definitely more of them in New York, but the ones that I encountered uh, in the Humble Park neighborhood in Chicago – you know, let, let's not underestimate Chicago rats towards New York rats. I mean, come on. You yeah. know, uh, we should be rooting for the fact that we have bigger rats in Chicago than New York. <laughs> All right. It is time to yep. uh, pull the plug on this edition of Dan and All to Bear Their Souls. Tucci, we have had so much fun tonight, and I'm so happy you were here for the starter show to fill in for Dan. Yeah. Um, I, I hope you're available next Tuesday. How are the kids, by the yep. way? Kids are good. Uh, my five-year-old's in kindergarten. We had the uh, the uh, parent-teacher conference. Mm -hmm. Alita is five, and Aldo, she loves Aldo. Alita. I know. I she know. loves Aldo, and she's not only is she beautiful, she's smart, and the, the teacher's like, she is the kindest. She's kind to everybody. She helps. She's a leader. You know, she's sweet. She helps the oh, teacher. Cool with that. Yeah. I know. I'm just, I know, I know she helps uh, my wife too around the house. 
And then there's my three-year-old who's like the exact opposite. She's naughty. She's like into everything, you know. But, terrible, uh, it's not terrible twos anymore. It's terrible right. twos and threes. Terrible twos it's and threes. Can't, year. can't wait till she turns four. I tell you. <laughs> I hear you, brother. So, yeah. All right. Um, uh, let's see. What do we got tomorrow here on the Barroom Network? It is Bardon Hockey Talk. Uh, Vinny, Joey Parisi, who Johnny Santucci. And those dumb from the yeah. older kids the uh, brothers. and Frankie Mueller. They're going to be talking Chicago Blackhawks, NHL, and lots of other sports news. They do a great job of uh, mixing in other sports news besides hockey. It's a very entertaining show. If you are available at two o'clock, stop by and check it out for a little while, or if not, check it out on demand. And then tomorrow night, I believe it is science fiction at 9 p.m. I'm not sure nice. what the guys are going to cover. Uh, but they will definitely cover it well. And uh, then on Thursday, it is uh, uh, Greg Gabriel, myself, talking football. We've definitely got a lot of combine talk, and we'll talk about some of the other yes. things going on. I, I have two shows tomorrow, Aldo. You I can tell my, us about my, my normal spot with David Behrman every mm-hmm. Wednesday night. But I have Miami Sports Babe tomorrow, and she has massive. Oh, she, my she God. Tune in 630 uh, – 6.30 Central tomorrow. 6.30 double – I mean, uh, Central. I hope she's not watching this. Oh, goodness. She probably is. I think – She's uh, very hot, man. She's. Well, she, I just talk Miami – I have no, I, you know, I don't know much about Miami sports. I could talk a little heat and dolphins and stuff like that. But uh, You're going to be in heat. <laughs> I'll just be watching. I'll try to keep my eyes up. there you go uh and then um let's see after that on after that on thursday crossed on crosstalk with vinnie parisi uh and then on thursday night draft on tap danny and neil will love draft on tap saw the last one it was great yeah those guys episode was great with uh, uh neil and and danny they really really put the work in this is not just you know two guys uh, talking extemporaneously about uh, draft picks. They watch tape, and uh, they come very well prepared. So I'm looking forward to that on Thursday night. And that's it. That's our show for tonight. I hope Dan Aguirre is safe and sound wherever he is. He said he was going to work, but I got a feeling he's with a woman because Dan gets it on. (laughs) All right. Goodbye, everybody. Take care. Good night. Thank you for listening to Dan and Aldo Bear Their Souls. Make sure you subscribe to the Barroom Network and you give us a rating on iTunes. Until next week, my name is Nomsen. Bear down.